Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Johnny Wiggs, who is the head coach at Santa Fe College in Gainesville, Florida. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you Johnny Wiggs. You're actually the first coach I'm having on that's a junior college coach. So you're coming from a real unique position, you know, not only for me to ask about, but for like the listeners too. I mean, and you have also experience playing in junior college baseball. You've been around junior college baseball for, I mean, what is it? Well over 20 years now you're, you're heading yeah. into like 20, you, what year are you heading into in terms of coaching um, at the junior college level? Yeah, this is my uh, 25th year as a junior college head coach. 25. Okay. So yeah, I okay. did, uh, did eight years at Polk community college. Yeah. Uh, down in winter Haven. And then this is my 17th year here at Santa Fe college in Gainesville. Okay. Yeah. And, did you play with my dad or no? I, oh yeah. yeah okay. We, yeah, yeah. My sophomore, my sophomore year, his sophomore year. Yeah. Uh, Santa Fe. Yeah. We. Uh, I okay. had played at Valencia Community College in Orlando my freshman year, and our coach left about three or four weeks before the before the fall was starting, and um, mm -hmm. made I always say made the best decision of my life transferring to Gainesville and uh, to Santa Fe. I always wanted to be a Gator, and I thought if I could get closer to Florida. That may be a good thing for me and um, played, played my sophomore year at Santa Fe, had a really good year and got the chance mm -hmm. to play at the University of Florida after that. So, you know, that that's like one of the main topics I wanted to discuss. I mean, just from your personal experience in terms of choosing to go to a junior college versus choosing to go to a four year um, like out of high school, because I mean, the landscape since you've had to make that decision has clearly changed in such drastic ways. I mean, we just look at today and the way that the NCAA is kind of set up um, just kind of the, how that affects junior college. I mean, do you think you would have made a different decision like today um, compared to like back then? Because I, you know, I, as a former junior college player myself, I look back and I think, why didn't I even consider going junior college out of high school in the first place? Well, it's definitely a, a personal decision, but I was not physically ready. I don't think I was academically mm -hmm. ready. I went to a small high school in Polk County. And the junior college level then and now gives you such a great foundation from a from a baseball standpoint, of course, but also from an academic standpoint. Uh, mm -hmm. Here at Santa Fe, this is we're one of the top junior colleges in the country. A few years ago, we got ranked number one junior college in the nation by the Aspen Institute. But so this mm -hmm. is a great academic institution, but as junior college as a whole, it gives you a small classroom environments where you get a lot more teacher interaction. Mm. Uh, we've done studies here at Santa Fe that show that our students that come here their freshman and sophomore year and transfer to the University of Florida, they do better in their senior year, a junior and senior year at University of Florida than the students did that got in there, went to Florida as freshmen and sophomores. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, why is that? They were, they were smarter. Well, <laughs> our people got a close interaction in the classroom their freshman and sophomore years. If you go to the University of Florida, and it's a tremendous academic institution, but mm. if you go there your freshman year, you're going to be in auditorium classrooms with 300 people. Yeah, you know, There's a, not a lot of time to ask questions in class. Basically, somebody's lecturing to you, and you got to spit it back out on a test in a Scantron, on a, you know, on a bubble sheet or something. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's it's a great level to to really start off academically. But from a baseball standpoint, 
you ask players, well, why did you go to junior college? And the main reason was because I wanted to get on the field. I wanted to play. Mm. You know, I always say I was a, I'm, I'm a huge competitor and uh, mm-hmm. I'm a big New York Yankee fan. Always have been. And I always tell people if I was on the Yankees, when I was sitting the bench every day, mm. I'd want to be traded to the Red Sox. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, uh, yeah. great competitors don't want to sit the bench. And so for me, I always say I, I really was a big Gator fan growing up. I hope that I would have made the same decision, even if they'd offered me a pack of bubblegum. But I always say if they'd offered me a pack of bubblegum, I probably would have committed and signed. It would not have been the right decision for me. I was five foot nothing, weighed 100 nothing coming out of high school, and I really needed to get stronger. I yeah. needed to show people that I could pitch outside of small high school, you know, those kind of things. And so it was perfect for me, and I think it's perfect for a lot of guys these days. And mm-hmm. now it's even more perfect because the, all these four-year schools are just robbing the transfer portal, and they're just it's just a, a little merry-go-round of Division One players. So high school players, or at least fringe high school players, and JUCO guys are sometimes getting uh, a little bit left out because the main criteria is for these, especially the Power Fives, to go get the best player they can get. Sure. Sometimes they're looking at the the transfer portal before they look at the junior college. But I think the high school kids are taking the brunt of it because college Mm -hmm. coaches today, especially at the highest levels, are are put getting put a, coaches are getting put a lot of pressure on them to win and to win now. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to bring in a bunch of high school guys and really have patience with them. Mm-hmm. So now they're getting the junior college guy and the transfer portal guys to make sure they can win now mm-hmm. rather than two or three years down the road. But it was perfect for me. Like I said, I think it's a great opportunity for guys to really. Uh, of course, there's competition here at our level as well. But you have a lot better chance as a freshman to step in and play here because you're only competing against freshmen and sophomores versus stepping into that four-year school where you're having to compete against juniors and seniors. That's a really interesting point you make because uh, I had to kind of do that going into junior college as well. It's like you're a sophomore, but immediately you're being slotted into that leadership role. So in a way, you're kind of like told to like mature a little bit quicker. Just naturally, you have to. That's something about junior college that, not a lot of people really consider maybe is like, Oh, maybe I do need to do some growing up, you know, but you mentioned the transfer portal and how kind of the dynamics of that has just been really affecting junior college baseball. And I remember uh, a coach I had on recently talking about um, when he's looking at transfer portal guys, like what's like the most important thing they look at. And it's pretty obvious, you know, it's like, do they perform? Can they perform? It's like, we want a guy with, you know, consistent numbers who's played a lot just just something to go off of and that's one big problem I'm seeing in the transfer portal is like if you're a guy that just didn't play it's like they have nothing to go off of but for a junior college guy with like really good statistics and he's playing at a high level juco then it makes a lot more sense to go get that guy who just played a full season performed maybe he has good character it's like okay clearly I want the guy who's you know shown that he can do it even at a high level, even if it's not division one now, and we can debate about levels of junior colleges versus low level D ones or D twos or whatever it is, but the priority that coaches should put on, like in terms of getting new guys is like performance. I mean, that's, that's like the most important thing. And I think that is something that junior college provides that 
you can't get out of the transfer portal, which is just so important. Yeah, you know, there, there's a handful of Division ones out there that really love recruiting junior college guys. They love the junior yeah. college grinder. You know, the guy that hasn't been, um, yeah. you know, at the junior college level, we're not handed a lot of stuff. We're not baby. You know, the guys are doing their own field work. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, it's a little bit different mentality. And some of the some of the coaches at the Division One level really like that kind of kid, a kid that's a, a you know a tough nut, a hard worker, mm-hmm. not been you know, doesn't have eight pair of Nike shorts in his locker waiting for him, all those kind of things, you know. Um, so it's uh, and then a lot of my friends at the mid major level, of course, do not like this transfer portal thing. You know, the mid majors are just getting picked off. Yeah. For example, the University of Southern Mississippi has always had a really pretty good baseball program. But yeah. their number one pitcher from last year, who's going to be a first-round draft pick. Waldrop, right? Here to Gainesville, uh, to the University of Florida. Yeah. I talked to some of my buddies there at the division, at the mid-major level, and they said, this is not what I signed up for. You know, you know, we're, yeah. we're recruiting this kid who was not polished. All of a sudden, we get him to where we want him. He's really doing well. He's become a prospect. And then all of a sudden he's getting picked off by the power fives. Mm-hmm. For me, I think this is going to, the way that we're doing things now at the division one level, it's going to hurt the coastal Carolinas of the world. Cause I don't know how many years it will go again with uh, years ago was that they won the national championship, mm-hmm. but it's going to be very difficult for those kind of teams to win a national championship when their best players are transferring after their sophomore years yeah, or their junior year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't like the way that NCAA is doing business personally. Luckily, yeah. I'm at the junior college level, and it's really not affecting me a whole lot. Uh, but, um, but um, like I said, I think I think eventually there's going to be some more rules and legislation that come into play. At least we just they they just announced that they're going to stop letting them uh, uh, talk to eighth and ninth graders. <laughs> oh just, yeah, just changed that's that rule. Huge. Now you can't talk to them till August. August of, of their junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always thought that was a silly uh, practice that, that everybody was doing was getting commitments from these eighth and ninth graders in anticipation mm-hmm. and hoping that they turn out to be as good as they, they, they hope to be. And then what yeah. happens is they get to be their junior year and all of a sudden the kid's not very good or he hasn't reached his potential. And now the coach has to have that uncomfortable conversation of, Maybe you should go junior college, you know. Yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was never binding. I talked to a division one coach a long time ago. He says, we can slow this process down a lot if you'll make that eighth grader sign the papers. And then it holds oh. the school and then it holds the school and the kid a little bit more liable. Yeah. But wow. um, of course, of course, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of issues at the division one level, but like I said, I, I'm glad I'm at the junior college level. It's a, it's a, a level where there's not as much legislation. Uh, we get a little more practice time. We get to play more fall games. We really get to get on the field and play a lot. Mm. Uh, you know, I really enjoy this level because I got a chance to, to, to coach at the division one level a little bit, but I love this level because not only do I get to recruit them, Mm-hmm. I get to develop them and then promote them and try to get them to the next level. And that's, that's really cool for me. I mean, most of my mornings during baseball season, I get in here in the office and first thing I do is check on my guys, how they did last night at mm-hmm. Florida, Florida state, you know, how they did. Um, so it's a lot of fun to follow their progress. You know, we, 
in recent years, we had three former players that I coach here at Santa Fe playing the big leagues. Mm. Uh, so that was a real cool thing. Um, I had two of them playing together uh, with the Rays at one point in time. And then uh, they all three played against each other when the Rays played the Mariners. So I had a, <laughs> I had them all take a picture together when they played against each other. So uh, those yeah. are the cool things. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I got into this business. I got into coaching just because of me. I mean, I got into mm. it because I really wanted to compete. I yeah. just finished playing. I said, I got to find another way to keep competing and keep a uniform on. So I got into coaching and it was mm. all about Johnny Wiggs and, you know, can we win? And, you know, teach, you know, but eventually you, you lose your ego over time and you figure out this is more, this is more about them and, um, and how I can help them um, have some of the same experiences that I got to experience. I always say I was five foot nothing, weighed a hundred nothing coming out of high school in a little Polk County town called Mulberry. And um, baseball gave me so many opportunities, you know, that I can't, that I never could have imagined, mm. uh, you know, getting to travel the country, getting to play professional baseball, getting to play Division One baseball at the highest level, playing in the College World Series. Mm. And all those things were just things that you only dream about, uh, when you're, you know, when you're young and in the country of Polk County. Yeah. So I always try to say that, you know, my job now is to, is to you know, I, I love to win as much as, as much as ever, but my job is to help develop these guys and help them get a little piece of some of the experiences that I have. I always say, you know, I got two, I got two degrees, a, a bachelor's and a master's degree from the University of Florida. And I had no intention of that athletics athletics is all that i dreamed about baseball mm. was all that i dreamed about but uh i had great coaches and great support systems that helped continue to push me and guide me through my career and and help me get to that those degrees mm. uh, i always tell people i uh, you know i can't spell master's degree i sure didn't want one you know and uh but again baseball was my vehicle to my education yeah. Most people when i was in yeah. When I was in 10th grade at Mulberry High School, my guidance counselor brought me in and he said, give me three goals you want to achieve in the next five, 10 years. I probably should have been thinking about it, a college degree, but uh, I, didn't give, I didn't give him that as a goal. I gave him three baseball goals. And he said, okay, number one, I said, well, one, number one, I want to uh, I want to pitch for the Florida Gators. Mm. I said, okay. I said, he said, number two, I said, number two, I want to pitch. I see it on TV. I want to pitch in the College World Series. He says, huh? He's probably laughing at this point because in 10th grade, I was probably about five, six, and 125 pounds. I mean, my senior year, they listed, I played quarterback for my football team. They listed me at 5'9, 145. So um, that was my senior year. So my junior year, I was pretty, he said, okay, how about goal three? He's, I'm sure he's wondering where this was. I said, I want to pitch in Yankee Stadium. Hmm. Fast forward about five or six years, I get a telegram. I'm at a hotel in Omaha, Nebraska, pitching in the College World Series for the Florida Gators. He says, congratulations, you've met your first two goals. <laughs> and still today, that gives me chills, man, thinking about it because yeah. I gave him those goals and, you know, I, I I dreamed of those things, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't know that was going to come true really in five or six years. But, mm. um, you know, so I tell guys, you know, don't stop dreaming. You know, I pitched in AAA with the Red Sox, and I really thought I had a chance to to, to get goal number three there. Thought I was close. I was a situational left-hander, and 
getting guys out and thought I had a chance to get moved up and pitch against Don Mattingly in Yankee Stadium. Uh, but uh, it didn't work out a couple years ago. Uh, I'm still, Jack, I'm still trying to get goal number three. Uh, two years, a couple years ago, I thought I had the Detroit Tigers talked into letting me throw batting practice for them at Yankee Stadium. When oh, I okay. And I was going to run up on that mound and throw a pitch. Yeah. Goal number three, and then see if I could find my guidance counselor and send him a, it wouldn't be a telegram today, it'd be a text or something, but uh, right, right. text him and say I reached goal number three. So I'm still, still trying to get there, but uh, hmm. it's uh, baseball to sum that up. I don't know how I got on that tangent, but that's uh, awesome, though. <laughs> baseball has been a great vehicle for me hmm. to be able to get to my education, to travel the country, to you know, play high levels of baseball. And, uh, and I, I say, I'm really fortunate ever since I was seven years old, I've worn a baseball uniform every spring. Mm. So I, it's about 50, 49, 49 consecutive years or so of getting to wear a, a baseball uniform um, every single year. So to do that, to make a little money and to have a great life is, uh, is pretty cool. It's awesome how you talk about baseball being used as a vehicle because and now some people, they, they try not to associate baseball with like their, their life. Like people say baseball is something you do. It's not who you are, you know, and I think there's some truth to that. But if you can use baseball in the right way, like you said, and honestly, like my dad has kind of instilled in me, like using baseball as like a way to leverage something, you know, your goals. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that is that like a practice you try to instill in your players today? Yeah, we, you know, we talk about that, even though, you know, even if it doesn't lead you to a degree or even if it doesn't lead you to a professional baseball, mm -hmm. uh, I always say that college athletics is developing you as a person every single day. Uh, we mm. think that baseball and college athletics really simulates life a lot. There's a lot of up and down struggles. Mm. You know, I, I talk about my family. I talk about my marriage. I talk about their potential marriage one day, their potential family one day, and how um, how all this stuff that we go through really prepares us. Uh, mm. a tough day at the plate, tough day on the mound is really not that bad compared, you know, to a really tough day at home or when, when tragedy hits your family or financial problems or whatever it is. Uh, but we always say that it really prepares us to be better fathers, better husbands, um, and uh, to to really help us learn hard work, you know, yeah. toughness, uh, resiliency, teamwork, how to be a teammate. I always say, you know, when I when when guys have trouble living together, maybe I mm. say, man, you better figure that out because it's going to get a lot tougher when that other person in your in your house and and in your bed is a woman. You know, I said it's going to get. You know, you have to be able to work through issues. Yeah, uh, whether it's dirty dishes or laundry or you know whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so really, I I really believe when we talk about baseball being a vehicle, it's a vehicle to a lot of great opportunities sometimes, but it's definitely a vehicle to making you a better man, a better person, a better husband, a better father one day. Mm -hmm. uh, because it uh, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, you know, in, in sports, it's not especially baseball. We always say baseball is not a fair game. You yeah, no, pitch man. and it gets you jammed the guy and he still bloops it in for a hit. I remember facing Jeter, Jeter in Triple A, mm. and the Columbus and the Columbus Yankees or the Columbus Clippers. 
is what they were called at the time. And yeah, I was pitching and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it to the big leagues and trying to, you know, really have a, a an opportunity. And I hit two outs, a couple guys on base and a routine fly ball to left field. My, my left fielder never flips his glasses down, loses in the sun. Yeah. You know, it's the worst, it's the worst thing, you know, two earned runs. You know, I always say, I was talking to a coach the other day. I said, it's got to, you know, I'm not that smart, but there's got to be another category. There's got to be another category that doesn't penalize the, the, the fielder or the pitcher. Yeah. There we saw a bad hop. Hey, bases are loaded. You give up a routine ground ball. Inning's going to be over. Bad hop. Mm. All of a sudden, the ball's in the outfield and two runs scored. Well, you can't give the guy an error because it took a terrible hop. Mm. Why should the pitcher have to take take those two earned runs? It wasn't his fault. He did his job, got a routine ground ball. How about another category? Because the hitter should not be rewarded a hit for a routine ground ball that takes a bad hop. Mm -hmm. The yeah. hitter shouldn't get an error. I understand that. So give me a third category that, that, that doesn't penalize the pitcher or the fielder so that we have some – because today everything's based on stats. These guys yeah. go to these guys got these guys that go to arbitration and all those kind of things. They look at those numbers and the numbers tell your story. And that's where you get re-signed, whether you get a bigger contract, those kind of things. But uh, mm -hmm. I digress somehow onto that onto that issue. But uh, um, like I said, this is a great game. It prepares us all well, and I'm better I'm better today at the age of 56 because I was involved in college athletics and professional athletics and have been involved in college athletics for a long time. That's interesting that you're mentioning this, you know, sort of uh, evolution of statistics and how I think things are actually going in that uh, direction in terms of finding statistics that kind of tell a better story about a player, because frankly, your role as a junior college head coach and let's say a low A or high A manager, you know, or someone who is running the minor leagues in a sense, they kind of have to look at players in a similar format. You know, it, like you said, it's, it's about developing guys. It's, you know, you want to win for sure, but developing guys and promoting them, as you say, to the next level, that's like a problem, maybe priority number one, you know, especially in the minor mm -hmm. leagues. Yeah. But when it comes to statistics and how you evaluate players, I mean, the basic ERA, you know, statistic doesn't tell the full story anymore. So, I mean, I would assume someone like you who's been around the game for a while um, and who understands that old school um, sort of uh, idea of the eye test already has this sort of built into the way they evaluate players. But are you starting to look more now at like concrete numbers or do you like to kind of like look more at the sort of eye test sort of aspect of when you're looking at players? Because like you said, the numbers sometimes don't always tell the full story. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, you know, yeah, numbers, you know, sometimes hitting coaches hate batting average, you know, the batting average stat. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, nowadays are measuring exit velocities and those kind of things. And, you know, we've always, we've always looked at hard hit percentages and those quality at bats. Mm -hmm. Everybody's had their old quality at bat formulas and those kind of things are what counts. And, but, uh, we try not to pigeonhole guys and just say, Hey, just the best nine guy, best nine batting averages, the guy will play every day. You know, of course we take a lot more than that and uh, how they can help the team with their, 
with their defense, with their, their, their just being a great teammate, all those kind of things. We always say, hmm. Skip Burtman, who said, we don't play the, we don't play the nine best. We play the best nine. You know, you're trying hmm. to find the guys that really, that really work together. Right? The, the couple state championships and World Series teams that we have, have had here at Santa Fe have hmm. not been the most talented baseball teams. They have been the best teams and the best talented teams. The guys that really love playing together, the real good the guys that really put team before me, uh, the guys that just really that really encouraged each other. Uh, you know, baseball is such a interesting game, and that that um, the most talented team that always win. It's a team that plays the best on that particular day. I mean, mm-hmm. the two state championships we we won, we had to beat Chipola. And Chipola has always been known as a, as a junior college powerhouse to get the best players from around the around the country. Mm-hmm. And um, and I go back to 2016 when we we beat them in the state finals. We had to play, beat them. We had to play three times mm-hmm. uh, during the state tournament. We beat them twice. But if you took a professional scout, you said, okay, you get to pick one player from each position from either Chipola or Santa Fe. Well, mm-hmm. they had to pick they had to pick the Chipola guy eight out of the nine guys on the field. Uh, that's how much more physical they were, how much more of a pro scout, a pro prospect they were. Mm. Um, but it's hard to uh, it's hard to uh, grade out uh, the size of a, guy, a guy's heart, uh, his want to, his work ethic, mm. uh, to do the little things to help his team win. Yeah. And, uh, so we we've tried to always try to create that culture here at Santa Fe. Um, you know, we've had a great winning program. And I always say the guys who have the biggest influence on our culture is not our coaching staff, but our returning players. You know, we try to, Mm. you know, we've, we instituted years ago, instituted this, the way that we do things, we call it the Santa Fe way. Uh, Okay. And we, you know, the way that we just show up at the field, the way we, you know, we don't walk in from the parking lot. I mean, you know, everything that we do and, as coaches, it's very rarely do we have to go back and every year implement this, implement that every single year. Why? Because we have the returning players who know our culture and the way we do things, and they tell the new guys how we do things. And we do, when that, when the players are monitoring the culture, when the players are are the um, the gatekeepers of your culture, mm-hmm. now you have a good program. When it's the coaches that always have to be barking every day about what your culture is or how we're supposed to do things, then I think you're fighting a little bit more of an uphill battle. Yeah. Say when the coaches want it, when the coaches want it more than the players, you're fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to find that goes that group of guys and that culture that the players want it just as much or more than the coaches. And I tell and I challenge my guys to want it as much as I do because I've always been. A uh, sense of urgency, do or die, get it done today kind of kind of coach. You know, I always say, you know, everybody has that team in their conference who's their rival. Okay. The team they think it's, they, and boy, the guys get up on top of the, the dugout steps and they're just riled up and ready to go. Florida, Florida State, you yeah. know, Florida, Miami. But I tell my guys every day, I said, every conference game counts the same. Mm-hmm. The help is one win. Yeah. I don't care if you're playing the last place team or the first place team, they count the same. And so we try to, we, we try to set that standard from the get go. Uh, I treat the fall 
exactly as this as the spring. I don't have any less intensity in the fall than I do in the springtime. I try to win fall games just as much as I win spring games. Now, the only difference in fall is we give a lot of equal opportunity. We're getting everybody's playing. Yeah. We're teaching, we're evaluating, but I don't have any differences besides that than our spring. I've watched a lot of other programs and they don't, they don't coach the same way in the fall as they do the spring. Eh, it's laid back. It's fall ball. Let the kids play. Well, I, yeah. I don't want to be able, I don't want to be able to have to change my, um, my whole entire uh, being in the springtime. Mm. Then all of a sudden now the guys sense, sense it's a bigger game, sense it's different. And all of a sudden now more pressure. I'd rather put all the pressure on them in practice. I'd rather put all the pressure on them in the fall, you mm. know, same kind of stuff that we're going to endure in the springtime. So um, right or wrong, because some people would may disagree with me, but right or wrong, it's been good for me. It's been good for our pro. I think our program, mm -hmm. and we've had a lot of maybe success because of it. See, I, I mean, I always sided with you in that regard um, because I wanted to look at the spring as something I've already done before. You know, I I didn't want to go into a spring thinking like, oh man, it's a bigger stage now. Like it, it's a new thing. It's like no, you just pitched five innings against your own team you know, in the fall and last week and before the season started, the only difference is now you're all wearing the same Jersey and there's just another Jersey in the dugout. And it's like, why are we trying to sack ourselves up, you know, and make it seem like it's bigger than something that is the same game, you know? So I definitely uh, side with you on that. Is that kind of something you try to instill in them is like, Hey, like we're doing this in the fall because we're acting like we've done it before and we are, you know, doing it before the actual thing. Yeah, I, my brother played for a coach at University of Florida, and it was really unique. He he gave them the spring schedule, I think, in the fall meeting or something. Mm. And they had all the dates and all the times. But in, in place of the who they were playing, it said the game. And then the game, mm. the game, the game. And what he means, what he meant by that is don't play the opponent, play the game. Yeah, yeah. I always tell my guys, we're playing one of our maybe weaker competitions in the springtime. And I said, now today, are you going to, if the New York Yankees walked into that dugout today, are you going to play harder today against them? Or are you going to play hard, uh, or against our, our conference opponent? I said, if you throw 86, 87 miles an hour and the New York Yankees walk in here, you're not automatically going to throw 92, 93. Yeah, you're still gonna throw 86 87. Yeah, so don't try to throw harder than 86 87, just locate, just change speeds and pitch. Mm -hmm. But everybody, everybody looks who walks in the dugout over there and then changes the way they're gonna play the game that day. Yeah, I yeah, play better because it's the Yankees. Mm. You know, I'm not gonna play better because it's College of Central Florida. I mean, I said play the game, and that was Andy, it was Andy Lopez who was a coach at Florida. Mm -hmm. um, who my brother played for his senior year. And it just said the game, the game, the game, the game, the game. Don't worry about who's walking in that dugout. Just go out and play the game. I've always said I'm more concerned about what's happening in my dugout than what's happening in their dugout. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, and I'm not a huge scouting report guy. I mean, nowadays at the division one level, of course, they can watch every single pitch thrown, every single at bat through synergy and those kind of things. And, Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all have all that at the junior college level, but 
I always say I'm going to pitch. Johnny Wiggs is going to pitch to his strengths. Mm. Okay. Not to always, not to the opponent's weaknesses. Okay. Instead of, you know, somebody walks in and says, Hey, Frank Thomas, who I pitched against when I was in Florida and he was at Auburn. Mm. Frank Thomas can't hit an elevated fastball. Well, Johnny Wiggs didn't have a plus plus fastball. So I'm not sure Johnny Wiggs is elevating his fastball too much to Frank Thomas. He says, Frank Thomas can't, can, can, can really hit a curveball. Johnny Wiggs is still throwing his curveball because that's his bread and butter. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, I always, you know, in terms of, you know, we, we talk about opponents. We talk about playing our strengths, not always being concerned about what their weakness is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because I think if in doubt, pitch to your strength, not to their weakness. Because mm. if Johnny Wiggs is trying to throw elevated fastballs all the time, that's probably not one of my strengths, you know. So, um, but um, love this game. It's like I said, junior college baseball has been great and getting to work with the guys. The only thing that's the troublesome thing with junior college baseball is only get them for two years. You know, when I first got into 25 years ago, when I got into junior college baseball, I said, okay, I got the strategy. I'm going to get all these big, big raw guys, big raw Mm -hmm. guys. They're athletes, but don't know how to play the game that much or don't know. I can't throw strikes, but they have a big arm. That Mm -hmm. was my strategy early in my career. And time I got them, um, the time that I got those guys fixed and ready to go, they were leaving me. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> the <next level. laughs> and they helped out the next team a lot more than they helped me out. Uh, mm. Nowadays, I love getting guys who can already do it and can compete at my level. Maybe mm. their fastball is not as hard as somebody else's. They, I mean, the reason they didn't get to go to Division One, maybe they're five foot nothing, 100 nothing like Johnny Wiggs was. Um, but I like guys, if I don't touch them, but they can come in here and compete. Mm. Now, the key is for us to find a few little things to make them be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Whether it's changing their breaking ball, you know, getting them a little bit stronger. Um, but I like guys, you know, a guy can't throw strikes in high school. I have a hard time wanting him to come pitch for me and say, oh, I can fix it. Okay. Yeah. I like finding guys who can throw strikes and may I need to tighten up their breaking ball or give them a better change up or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to find guys who compete right now, uh, even if I didn't touch them and bring them in here and then hopefully tweak them a little bit and give mm-hmm. them an opportunity to give them a platform to continue to get better, stronger, and get a chance to uh, play at the next level. Let's keep on this recruiting sort of topic because, okay. I mean, it is – it is obviously like such a, to me, before I even started this podcast, such an unknown sort of like uh, area just for, from the player perspective. Um, and it's always changing too, right? So it, obviously with rule changes and stuff like that, like we've already mentioned, um, who does the recruiting for you? Is it all you? Do you have your assistants do it? Um, yeah, my assistants like? will help me out a little bit. Um, okay. You know, it's great, over, you know, when, you, when you've been in the game for 30 plus years, at different yeah. levels, of course, junior college head coach for 25 years. You don't have to go out and beat the bushes all the time. Yeah. You know, don't go to random games and hope some guy is good on that field. You know, you get a lot of phone calls uh, from your lifelines that you created over all these 25 plus years, uh, and they give you heads up. You know, you have a lot of former players that pick up the phone and call you. Of course, mm-hmm. a lot of coaches that you played against or coached against who pick up the phone. So that's our biggest 
our biggest avenue, of course, to to get eyes on players. Yeah. It's just recommendations from people that I've known over the years. Um, we still we still occasionally will go to the we'll go to a perfect game showcase in the fall sometimes and go see the masses. But mm-hmm. you have to have a plan when you go see the masses. You go down to Jupiter, there's 13 games going on at a time. 13. Yeah. I remember when I was at Polk Community College 23, 24 years ago, and I went down there for the first time. Had no idea, no plan, just showed up. And all my my head just spun the whole day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now you go down there, you've already you've already got recommendations. You already know who's pitching when. Mm. So you know where to go see them at. So you have a plan. But man, first time I went down there, I didn't have a plan and basically a wasted time. So a lot of guys playing baseball, uh, but didn't yeah. really have a good sense of who I was trying to recruit. You know, we identified the Florida, all the Florida school uh, teams that are down there and highlight them, of course, because mm-hmm. that's our biggest chance of getting guys. Um, and then, of course, talk to coaches and try to get recommendations. But um, the good thing about junior college baseball, some people may call this a bad thing. We get to do everything. We get to mm-hmm. do everything. We get to recruit. Last night after the game, me and my assistant coach, we scrub, we scrub pants. You know, we scrub mm-hmm. the laundry. Um, you know, I, I work on the budget. I do the recruiting. We, you know, this afternoon we're going to work on the field before we practice. You know, there's there's no grounds crew. There's no recruiting service. There's no uh, laundry laundry guys. So we get to do a little bit of all of it. And I said it's a good thing because um, we got we get to we get to put our hands on every part of the program. And when mm-hmm. when we're when we're successful, well, we take a lot of pride in it. You mm-hmm. know, when our guys graduate, we take a lot of pride in it. Uh, when our guys move on to the next level, we t- take a lot of pride in it because we we sort of had our hands on all of it. You know, mm. we our, our running joke is if we're pumping water off the field or whatever, trying to get it ready, we always say, hey, do you think Kevin O'Sullivan's doing this over at University of Florida? <laughs> yeah, of course not. He coaches and he recruits. Yeah. He paid a lot of money to do. But at the junior college level, we get to do it all. And um, mm. I always say – I. I tell my guys, man, after wins, I really enjoy scrubbing your laundry. I really enjoy doing laundry after after wins. Mm. I don't enjoy much. I, I I'm really disgruntled after losses in that laundry room. But uh, but uh, it's a it's a great level, like I said, where you get to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, there is a level of gratitude that you get, especially once you move on. That <laughs> you're like, oh man, like. I got it so easy here. I mean, I know I can say that like full fledged when I got to Tulane, like it's a full turf field. You know, we didn't have to show up at 8 a.m. on an off day to like drain the field, you know, because it rained the night before. Like that wasn't a thing. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, Just like we go back to we go back to those coaches who like junior college guys mm. because of what they had to do in junior college. You know, they're not afraid to pick up a rake. They're not afraid to pull a tarp, not afraid to, you know, get their hands dirty because that's what they had to do at the junior college level. So mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes they think that those guys are tougher. They think they're more resilient or something. You know, that's not always, it's not a, a blanket for them. But again, sometimes coaches like the junior college guys because mm-hmm. uh, they've done more with less and they've had to, do, they've had to do a little bit more then the guy just shows up and gets to walk on the field and, and play baseball and instead of having to show up early to set up BP, uh, mm-hmm. to actually to groom the field or to rake the first base corner. You know, we have a job list for our guys of all the things they have to do 
before mm. and after practice. Pull the hose out, the water, the field, you know, those kind of things. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, I always say it makes us a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit more responsible, a little bit tougher than the guys who don't have to do those kind of things. Well, you touched on it too. It's like that sense of pride, you know, and just taking kind of like an accountability sort of yeah. aspect and like what you do as well. And yeah, frankly, I mean, you can lose some of that when you come in as a freshman and it's expected that the older guys are probably going to lead the way and like kind of guide you to do stuff. And maybe you don't have a whole lot of responsibilities or the responsibilities you have are, you know, not the important ones because they can't trust you, you know, enough. You're too new. And yeah, it's like you completely flip the script when you go Juco. Like there, there's none of that. There's none of the hierarchy. Everyone's on the same level. Everyone's trying to get the same thing done. And yeah, I think that does actually create like a better uh, team culture as well. Like, I think it's a lot easier to do that in terms of building a team culture. Like, no I think all of this, like I said, just preparing you. My freshman year, I went to Valencia Community College, and Floyd mm-hmm. Perry was a legendary junior college coach. I, after I told you, after my freshman year, he left and he went to boardwalk and baseball. Hmm. He started boardwalk and baseball, which was a um, it was a theme park right there near Orlando. And the Kansas City Royals was there, it was also the spring training down there. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but he they started a baseball operations where they had baseball every day at the at the this uh, theme park. Mm. They hired baseball players to play baseball regularly, but then they also had the Royals there for spring training. But I talk about Coach Perry because Coach Perry, I did work study with him. I made five dollars an hour. It was big money back in those days. Five bucks an hour. Uh, working on the field with coach with coach Perry as part of my scholarship mm. and he taught me things I mean it was just not only I mean you would not think there was this systematic approach to raking a mound or painting the bases but coach I mean coach to- taught me and he later wrote he wrote many books on field uh field maintenance mm. he was um he worked for Turfus uh and uh sold lots of books on on field maintenance he used to go around doing actually uh, field maintenance seminars around the country. Wow. So for me to get to work with him was crazy, but I remember I raked the mound one time and walked off the mound. And I left some footprints, man. You'd have thought I would have, you know, I just did the cardinal sin of cardinal sins. And I mean, he taught me never, never to leave a footprint after you left that mound. And mm. he told, taught me a specific way how to paint those bases. And uh, I mean, and I, those things stick to me today. I mean, that was 37 years ago or something, 37, 38 years ago. And I can still remember those lessons today and still, and, and still do those things today. Yeah. And teach those to my guys. And, uh, and, and I say, well, that was just a part of my education, mm. you know, of how to, it wasn't just about how to rake them out or how to paint them out. He was teaching me how to do things right. Yeah. You know, and when guys get those kind of little responsibilities here at the junior college level, I always say, if you're the first, if you're the guy who has to rake the first base corner, be the best first base raking corner guy in the league. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, we're always trying to be the best at whatever you do. I say, take a lot of pride. If you're the guy that waters the feet, waters the infield, be the best infield waterer in the league. And those are the kind of characteristics and traits and qualities that we try to instill in our guys. And uh, like I said, hopefully it makes them better, whatever. Yeah. The road, a better empl- employee for yeah. when they get a real, when they get a real job. But it's also easier when you can get a guy from, you know, the recruiting trails 
who you know is going to develop, you know, kind of their their character or, or they already have the character and you just got to see them kind of do it. You know, you can ju- kind of just plug them in because you, you can trust them. And this really boils down to like what you're talking about with the, your uh, friend who does ground crew work, someone you trust, right? Someone you can rely on. If they give you advice on that, you know, on, on grounds crew work, like you trust it, like, cause yeah. like you said, it does it the right way. And it goes the same for recruiting, asking, like you said, the coaches, you know, the people, you know, former players, it's a level of trust you have in them that they're going to give you players who do it the right way. So I just want to kind of like ask, I guess, like, like just the level of importance on the people, you know, and like the power of that. And then I guess to kind of like translate this into the player perspective is like, how can players make sure that they're getting on like the right side of the right people? Because frankly, I mean, it's so important these days, like the player recommendation. And I'll just add this little piece in here. Like the only reason I was committed, like I was able to commit to Tulane and got an offer was because the coaches called um, their sources, right? They called people and they said, we heard such good things that like, we're going to offer you that the offer wasn't on the table for the the calls. And I, I mean, I take a lot of pride in that. And I know that might be just tooting my own horn, but that's like an example, right? Is like just how important it is to kind of have that good impression. Not that I knew I was putting a good impression. I don't know who they called, by the way. So <laughs> like, like how important yeah. that is basically. There's no doubt. You know, that's, you know, I always say sometimes when you call a co- high school coach for the first time and they brag on this kid and they brag on this kid and the kid turns out not to be, uh, nothing like what he was talking about. Well, you learn from that and you learn that you can't trust that guy. I always tell my players the same thing. When college four-year schools call me, I got to speak the truth. Yeah. Okay. If I don't speak the truth, it's going to hurt my guys in the future mm. because they're not going to believe me. I yeah. said, so I tell my guys every day is a tryout on our field. I said, you know who you're trying out for? You're trying out for me. Because I'm the one that's going to endorse you. I'm the one that's going to sell you to the next yeah. guy. You're our agent. Every single day, you better you better be trying out for me because I'm the one yeah. watching. Because, you know, I can't pick up the phone and say, boy, he's a hard worker. He really gets after it every day if you ain't getting after it every day. So mm-hmm. those relationships with the guy, with my people that I know, former coaches, players, all those kind of things are super important. And, um, you know, a coach can miss on, on ability sometimes. Mm-hmm. I really think he can hit at your level. I really believe he can do it. And sometimes they'll miss. What I don't want them to miss on is the quality of the kid, his work ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he a good teammate? Will he play hard? All those kind of things. Yeah. You, can miss on, you can miss on ability sometimes because mm-hmm. uh, we all do. We go watch a guy, we see him one or two games and think he's a, he can do it. And then mm-hmm. he comes here and he, you know, he doesn't quite make that jump to the next level. So um, you're recruiting lifelines, your former players, your coaches that you know over the years are huge. And for me, so that we continue our culture, mm-hmm. I can continue the culture. Um, if the kids are, are great kids, great teammates, hard workers, mm-hmm. and they lack some ability. Right. But if they have great ability and they lack those other three things, then my culture has a chance to take a, a couple dents. Yep. You know, we always say, man, Coach Tholen, Coach Harry Tholen, um, 
who was the coach here, longtime coach, started the program in 1982 and mm. um, has been a volunteer coach for me since 2009, too. Okay. Turns, turns 80, turns 80 at the end of this month, and he's still volunteering with me, and he's awesome. He's a legend here. Wow. Um, but he always said, you can take a chance on a kid. Academically, just don't have a team full of them. He says, you can take a chance on a kid because you don't think he's, you know, he's made some mistakes in his past. Just don't have a team full of them. Hmm. So occasionally coaches are going to take chances on some kids, but you better have a great nucleus of, of, of great kids around him that mm-hmm. can shape him and mold him and also just influence him. Mm. Our best leaders here at Santa Fe have not been the guys that are barking and screaming at guys and telling them what to do. Our best leaders here at Santa Fe have been the guys who just show up and do the work every day. Hmm. You know, my best team, I always say, if you are two things, you got a chance to play for me. If you're a great competitor and a great teammate, my two biggest traits, be a great competitor and a great teammate, mm-hmm. and man, you're going to fit in here well. Because I love, hmm. I love guys who love to win and hate, even more so, hate to lose. So be a great competitor, but also be a great teammate. <laughs> Yeah. Three or four years ago, we had to cut. At the end of the fall, we cut one of our best hitters, our starting second baseman, and one of our best hitters, and we cut him from the team hmm. just because he did not. Uh, he was he didn't he didn't fall into great teammate category. You know, he was a great he was a pretty good competitor, really good player, but he was a guy that was just very demeaning to his his teammates. He always thought he was better than them, hmm. and. Um, really just didn't feel fit our mold. And I applaud my assistant coaches because they're the one that came to me and said, I think we need to cut ties with this guy. I mm. said, you know he's going to start for us, right? <laughs> he said, yep. They said, we will be better without him than we will with him. And we yeah. end up we end up cutting him. We won this we won the state. I mean we won the uh conference championship that year without him. End up going deep into the state tournament and uh so we try to, and again, we don't like cutting guys here. I mean, that's that's one of the only guys I think I've cut like that in my uh, in my 15, uh, 17 years here. Yeah. But sometimes that has to be done if the if that person can can't conform if he doesn't want to be a great team guy because, like I said, uh, talent at our at the, at, at the in the game of baseball, talent just talent doesn't get it done. Yeah, it takes it takes a great team. It takes the little things. It takes really being a part of a great team uh, to be the best we can. And uh, so recruiting, to get back to that point, recruiting is huge for us in, in recruiting the right guy. Mm-hmm. And so we can miss on the right. We can miss on the player sometime, but we don't want to miss on the kid. Mm-hmm. And, if we, and if we get the right kid, a lot of times we can continue to work on on that ability. Um, but uh, our people that we talk to and communicate with is a huge part of our recruiting. We don't have a huge recruiting budget, so we're not on the road all the time. So we really mm-hmm. count on we really count on uh, on guys helping us out. I caught we, we're trying to follow a pitcher from Fort Myers. Mm-hmm. Fort Myers is a pretty good little John from from Gainesville. It probably takes about four four plus hours one way and. So the last couple of weeks, I've had a former player of mine. I've mm-hmm. got a few players down. I just called up a former player and said, hey, you want to go watch some baseball? And he said, yeah. He was a guy that played on my 2016 state championship team. Really yeah. good baseball guy. 
good baseball mind and he's gone and watched a pitcher for me the last two weeks. And, wow. Uh, you know, that saved me um, eight plus hours in driving and plus the game. It had been an 11 hour day uh, at least driving to Fort Myers and back just on a practice day because I played the day before and the day after. Um, and so those kind of, those kind of relationships are huge for us. Yeah. And I got to go back to this, uh, this player that you had to cut because I mean, from a player perspective, if I'm a listener right now, I can see why I would be a little bit frustrated with you because I've also like, I've seen that, you know, I've seen that in other players firsthand and, they might be just completely bamboozled. They're like, I don't get it. I don't understand like why you take this away from me. I do. I do everything that a coach could ever need on the field. Like why, why would you take this away from me? And sometimes you actually do kind of have to like take away like the thing that they cherish most for them to kind of like wake up to like their, uh, their faults or the, the things that they are doing that, that are hurtful, you know, to their team and teammates. And that guy, you know, I don't, you know, maybe he, learned and moved on and learned I've seen guys do that but sometimes that's kind of what it takes for them to like you know really mature a little bit and like I don't yeah I guess learn to be a better teammate like it's not even like your fault necessarily but from your perspective the reason you have to do that I mean is because the culture is the tried and true thing it's not the individual talent the player like you're saying so it's so much harder for you to accept players that are going to hurt the culture, you know, and, and lean on the talent than to say, you know, like, you know, no, we, we're going to trust this culture that has been working, especially for you. Like we have to prioritize this culture and some players don't really see that a whole lot, but now that I'm, you know, outside of college, well, at least like, I feel like the culture piece, like, like you're saying, is just so much more important. You spend so much time, you know, in baseball, you spend so much time together. Yeah. You know, you're, I mean, baseball is the, you know, my basketball coach always preaches at me about how long our pregame is and how long we're at the field. And I said, you, you're right. I should have been a basketball coach. You shoot a couple layups and you play the game, you know, but in baseball, you know, you we're out there, you know, I'm there at eight 30 in the morning for at the field for a three o'clock game yesterday. You know, I show up, we start working on the field, we're watering the field multiple times, we're dragging the warning track, we're painting the lines, we're doing so much stuff. And then, of course, you know, BP starts over two hours before the game starts. It's a long time, and we're together a lot. So you want to be around guys. You like, you know, we've had a really great year this year. We're 30, 36 and 7. You know, we've had a really great year. But the thing that's made this the most enjoyable year is the guys at the field. You know, I have no, you know, we have very little or none, no issues uh, on and off the field. Guys show up when they're supposed to show up. They do what they're supposed to do. I mean, this team, this team has actually, I've always tried to create a culture of being on time and early and those kind of things. This group takes it to another level. I mean, Mm -hmm. they show up an hour before practice starts. Now the hitters are always hitting the cage, but, you know, we'll turn around and it's 30, 30 to 40 minutes before we're supposed to practice. And everybody's there. And I said, mm. okay, I guess we'll start. You know, we're supposed to start at two, but I guess we'll start at 1.30 because you're yeah. all, you know, they 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 show up. They like mm-hmm. being around the field. They like being around each other. So when you do that, you know you got a good group. Mm. Now, when they show up at the last minute all the time, they don't want to hang out with hang out with their teammates. Now, you know, you got something wrong. Mm. So it's a really good group. And, uh, uh, 
I think, you know, because of the little things that they do before games and before practice and hanging out and, and, and being responsible and showing up and all those kind of things, I think that makes us a better baseball team. Mm -hmm. um, but to get back to the, the guy that we had to cut that you were talking about, sure. you know, we didn't just say, hey, he's a bad dude, let's cut him. You know, we had multiple interventions trying to really change his attitude, trying to get him back on the right path. I'm super competitive. I want the best players to be on my team. Yeah. It pained me to have to cut one of my best players. Uh, hmm. But, you know, the coaches came to consensus. He thought they were, we thought it was going to hurt us more than it was going to help us. Interesting. But, so we don't take that lightly. You know, every year at every single, almost every single institution, you bring in more guys than you put on your roster. Yeah. Every year. You know, and this year we had more than I've ever had. We had 40 guys, I think, and we never have 40. But we had 40 guys, and I can put 28 of them on the roster. And as I get older, I get more, maybe as my as my old players will tell me, I'm getting softer. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, they say, you don't condition them like you used to condition us. You're not as tough on them as, I don't know. Uh, maybe because I'm a granddad now. My, my oldest daughter has a, has a son, so I, I got a grandson now. So maybe that's softened me up some. Um, but the worst thing I can do, you know, worst thing that I do, and it causes me sleepless nights, is having to cut players or not even put them on the roster. Here at Santa Fe, we don't cut guys. Uh, we redshirt guys. We don't. But mm -hmm. if, if they're doing everything that they're capable of doing, they're working hard. They're a great competitor, great teammate. Uh, I just don't cut them. They stay. They stay with the team. They continue to practice with the team. They they work toward next year. Mm -hmm. uh, the only time I cut players is if they cut themselves, basically, with yeah. academics or with off-the-field problems or not being a good teammate, those kind of things. But, um, you know, it's a, you know, I guess when I was young, it didn't, I didn't think about it as much. Maybe it didn't bother me as much. Maybe I was just a little tougher. You know, I thought it was just part of the game. And it is part of the game, but it's, you know, getting cut. You know, I got, I got cut in professional baseball when I was in AAA, I got released and, uh, Mm -hmm. I always thought that was, you know, that was a, the worst thing that could happen. But, you know, it's part, you know, you learn it's part of the game. That you, you do this as long as you can. It's a business decision for them, you know. Uh, and the same thing at our level. I tell our guys, you know, it's part of college athletics. Mm -hmm. And I always say, and I tell guys, I think you will be better because of it for playing in our program or in another program, even if you don't get to play. Mm even if you were part of just fall ball and went through the process of competing for your team, I think you're a better person because of it. Yeah. By being involved in college athletics. Hmm. Cause you know, when you get out in the real world, I mean, you're going to have to perform there too. You know, at your, at your particular job, you don't right. perform, you're get fired, mm -hmm. you know, or you won't get promoted, you know, all those kind of things. So, you know, college athletics prepares us for a lot of stuff. Uh, not all good, you know, it's not all just hunky dory sometimes, you know, when, when you don't make the team or you don't get to play as much. And I understand those things. Mm -hmm. uh, I had, I have three daughters and they all played, they all played athletics in high school. Uh, my youngest played college volleyball at division one, you know, and as parents, we all have those feelings. Our kids, the best, they should mm -hmm. be playing, you know, all those <laughs> kind of things. And, and I yeah. tell parents, you know, I've only had a few issues with parents over the years. I've had oh, a couple, good. you know, I've only had a few at, at the college level. I've been really fortunate, but I've had a few and I, and I express to them, I am a parent too. 
I understand. I understand how you're feeling. Sometimes you can't re- you can't act upon your feelings. You mm. can't say the things you want to say all the time because you think your kid's the best. You think your kid should be playing. You think your kid should make the team. I understand those things. It's very hard to separate reality <laughs> and your love for your kid. Yeah, you know, you really believe your kid should be starting. But mm-hmm. uh, luckily, I you know I always say God gave me girls for a reason you know i have enough mm. boys at the field and he wanted to give me some balance in my life yeah he also knew i'd probably be too tough on a boy playing baseball uh so girls were girls were perfect for me now i can mm-hmm. just sort of i can tinker with my grandsons those kind of things i got a second grandson on the way so uh, oh wow yeah so i didn't have any no boys but uh i'm, I'm gonna have plenty of grandsons i think oh yeah those grandsons are gonna be they're gonna have to be ready that's yeah. for sure yeah so <laughs> Uh, yeah, my my daughter says, uh, "Do you think you can you'll coach him one day?" Mm. I'm not sure I'm gonna coach him in college. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to I'd have to hang in there, coach him like 18, 18 more years. Yeah, <laughs> maybe T ball or coach pitch. I'd be like, uh, what was the guy's name at Rice? What's a, was a great guy he coached? Him. He was almost eighty at Rice. I don't know what I'm blanking. Oh on gosh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, he was awesome. He yeah. he coached. He was almost. I think he coached at Rice until he was almost eighty. He was a coach at uh, uh, San Jack Junior College in Texas before mm-hmm. he got the job at Rice. But yeah. Yeah, he was about 80 years old. And I always wonder, always wonder how long I'm going to do it. You know, I've done it. I've been a yeah. coach for 25 years and I'm 56. Um, but uh, we'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really, somebody said, how long are you going to do it for? And I said, well, as long as I still love going out there and competing and throwing BP, mm-hmm. I, I throw BP every game day. So I always say the, the best thing on my body is my left arm. It's the thing that I use all the time. Mm. So I, you know, you, everybody knows the use it or lose it theory. Um, the rest of my body, I'm not doing much with. So it's breaking down, but I throw BP regularly. So it's in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'll better keep doing this for, for quite a while. And uh, it's, it's, I still love it. Still get the competitive juices flowing and, uh, and uh, I still love going out there every day. That piece of someone's relationship with the game should tell them very clearly whether or not to keep going. That is something like, because as someone, I mean, who's now gone into, you know, his second full season of professional baseball, I've had to ask myself a lot, honestly, almost daily, like, do I still want to keep doing this? Like, I got to reassure myself in a way sometimes like, okay, something, something bad happens. Like, you know, am I just going to like, am I ready to, to be done? Like, do I want to keep going? Like, I'm trying to just keep in my keep myself in check. And like to those yeah. players too that maybe get registered the first year in junior college, like you should be asking yourself that question. Like if you're if you're not willing to keep going because you get registered your first year in junior college, like, OK, like you maybe maybe it's time. Like the game tells you in, you know, certain ways, like or at least it tests you, it tests you like uh, to, to ask yourself, like, should I keep going? Like, do I want to keep doing this? Like it gives you opportunities to kind of step away in a way. Right. And oh, yeah. like, I think for those like junior college guys or guys in high school aren't getting recruited as much, like they should definitely be saying like, okay, if I don't get the opportunity that I, you know, that my goal is like right now, do I still want to keep going? And if the answer is yes, like you keep going, but if you're on the fence about that, like, and you don't get what you want, 
and you're like discouraged by that, you don't see that as like, okay, well, I guess that's the world telling me like, I need to keep going. I need to get better. I need to work on myself. I need to work on, you know, not only myself on in the game, but outside the game as well. Like, okay, maybe that, maybe it's telling you like, it's time, right? Like yeah, I, I, that's I, junior I college in a nutshell, right? Yeah. It gave me, made me think of two, two thoughts or two experiences. One, mm. Ryan Yarborough, who pitches in, with Kansas City now, mm-hmm. about five or six years now, mm-hmm. he played for us here at Santa Fe in his freshman year. Mm. I think he pitched 17 innings, all mop-up all mop up duty, and had a 7.71 ERA. Hmm. And I reminded him, I think it was last offseason, I saw him, he came and saw one of our games, and I reminded him of that. Hmm. I said, can you, can you, you know, I said, I'm always telling my guys not to let one game or one season define them. Hmm. I tell, I talk about Ryan all the time. And I said, when, especially when a freshman comes in here and he's struggling. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, we once had a, we had once had this guy who's he played in the big leagues five or six years who struggled his freshman year. Didn't have a real significant role. Only pitch mop up innings had a seven plus ERA. That dude just went to work. You know, the, I always say, you know, Malik Smith played here. Who's played three or four years in the big leagues. And the thing that Malik Smith and Ryan Yarbrough had in common is they were workers. Mm. They just kept working and got better. Yeah. Malik didn't look like he was going to be a plus hitter here, man. And he tells a story of he lived, he lived down the street here near Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. It was a close walk, but it, he, he didn't have a car. And every morning, every morning he would walk to the batting cage before mm. classes. This is 7.30 in the morning. He'd walk to the batting cages and nobody would be there. And mm. he would either, he said, I'd either throw up a ball in the air and hit it or he'd put it on a tee and hit it. He says, but I got some swings in every single morning. Mm. And Ryan Yarbrough struggled his butt off that freshman year, but just kept working, just kept getting a little bit better every year. Played four years of college. It got in the minor leagues and ended up being like double A and triple A pitcher of the year. At two in two different seasons, and all of a sudden he's, you know, he's and he's not the mold. He doesn't throw really hard. Just throws mm-hmm. a cutter, cutter change up, and and all of a sudden he's, he's you know, he's making three or four million dollars a year, and just in his fifth or sixth year. Oh, he's living the dream. Guy that wasn't supposed to play in the big leagues for sure. Yeah, you know, but just kept just kept working. So, mm-hmm. and then the other thing that made me think about that is about whether you stay in the game. Uh, I end up volunteering voluntarily retiring from professional baseball my first year and first time hmm. I was with uh, the Mariners organization. I had like three plus years of really good baseball. I was an undrafted free agent because I was little, didn't throw very hard, but mm-hmm. it's great for three and a half years. I had one bad month in double A and they, re- and then they released me. I said, well, I guess the three years of good baseball didn't help. You know, I knew the game. I, I grew up in Lakeland. I used to work for the Lakeland Tigers. I, I, so I knew professional baseball. I knew the guys that got drafted high were going to get more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Guys like me who didn't get drafted higher at all, all of a sudden have one bad month to get released. Mm-hmm. I with the Tigers, pitched really good, and they moved up two guys ahead of me. I got frustrated, says, I'm out of here. I'm going to go get my master's degree. I got mm-hmm. some other things to do. I missed it enormously. I went out on my terms, but it was, I'd rather not go on my terms. I had sort of gave, gave up. I quit. Yeah. Um, and again, at the time I was married, 
I thought it was the best thing. I was going back to get my master's degree. Made sense. Get into coaching. Oh, it all sounds really good. Mm. You missed the game to death. And then I ended up re-signing with the Red Sox. Got a chance to go to play in AAA. Uh, was pitching really well until I pulled a, pulled my groin. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, tried, you know, and I remember guys telling me, man, you better get, you better get, you better get healthy quick. You're going to get released. You better get hit. So I rushed back. It wasn't quite the same. I ended up, I ended up getting, I ended up finally getting released anyway. Hmm. But I felt so much better about how it ended. You know, I went back and gave it my all. Had, you know, had some great opportunities. Pitched against Jeter in 95 when he was at Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was in Pawtucket. Um, but it was very difficult for me not to go back. I, I'd already came. I was back in Gainesville. I was coaching here at Santa Fe as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was killing me. I was throwing every day with the players. And I feel like really felt like I could still pitch. So I ended up going back. So, you know, trying to find that time when you know it's your time to, to hang up the cleats Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for for us competitors. Yeah, you know, we always feel like we could do it. Even for years after that, I thought, oh, I still could, I still could be doing. It. You know, I had a chance to sign with all these um, oh Northern League teams. Mm-hmm. After I got some AAA, I could have, I could have, I said, you know, as a left-handed pitcher, I think I could have pitched forever. You know, everybody was <laughs> always looking for left, was always looking for left-handed pitching. Yeah, said, yeah. Man, I, made, I wouldn't have made any money. I wouldn't have had kids. I wouldn't have got my master's degree. I mean, all those kind of things that were important to me and my wife, but uh, mm. it is sometimes very difficult to hang it up when you've competed your whole life, you know, since you're seven, mm-hmm. seven years old and you've competed and all of a sudden you're telling yourself, okay, I'm not going to play anymore. Mm-hmm. It's easier to say that than it is to live that, you know, because the months and the year or so after I, in a voluntary retirement was very difficult for me uh, knowing that I had gave it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my own, for some reason it felt better to me when somebody cut me and released me hmm. and said, "Your time, you know, your times, your time's over here," you hmm. know, than it was for me giving it up. Uh, yeah, even though I think I made, you know, at the time I made the right, uh, making the the decision for the right reasons. You know, it sounded that mm. it was a great game plan. Yeah, uh, for us competitors, it's it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, I guess it to me it sounds like it's a lot easier when you can accept like you you did everything you could in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sit with that a lot easier and you know, cuz I obviously I know players who have been released or they stopped playing after college or whatever it is and like the guys that are most content with that, you know, cuz everyone's going to stop playing at some point. They're they're going to, you know, the guys that are most content with that, you know, are the ones who said like, "Yeah, I, I did everything I could." Yeah, I did everything I could. For sure. I love guys who reflect well on their, you know, I get the, I get the greatest emails, calls, texts from former players. And mm. sometimes they didn't like me when they played for me or they were disgruntled or didn't play as much or yeah. something happened in their tenure here, whatever. And I love it when they, they gain perspective years mm. later mm. and they text you and say, man, you know, looking back at it, man, those are the best years of my life. Mm-hmm. And that was the greatest opportunity, man. That was such a great team. You know, all those kind of things are, and it makes you think, man, that maybe we're doing something right here. Because sometimes, you know, even as a coach like myself, who's been doing this forever, you question yourself at times. Mm-hmm. Am I doing the best thing for this team? Am I doing the best thing for that individual? 
Am I treating him right? Am I tough enough on him? Am I too tough on him? I mean, you question yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. I do because I, you know, I have a conscience and I want to make the best decisions for each player and Mm. for our baseball team. And sometimes when you get those calls, texts, emails, it gives you some validity that man, you are doing some good things. And Mm -hmm. yes, you were tough on him, but he, boy, he, he, he understands it now. He said, Mm. man, you should have been tough on me. Or, you know, I got a, I got a text not too long ago, a year, maybe a year ago about a kid that played for me. And he, he had a severe tragedy in his family. Lost, he lost one of his kids. Hmm. And um, he just said that I prepared him for it somehow. And I was like, ah, oh, how, how do you prepare? How do you prepare somebody for losing their kid? Yeah, wow. And, uh, and he told me, he said it was something about we were conditioning and I was talking about not quitting. Hmm. And I said, if you quit, if you quit on the little things like running, if you quit on conditioning, I said, it'll be so easy to quit on your family one day. It'll be easy to quit on your wife. It'll be easy to quit on your kids. You mm. know, those kind of things. And he said that prepared him. Those words, he said, I remember, and this was, you know, like 12 years ago. He says, those words, I remembered when we lost our kid and we were having troubles in our marriage and fighting. He says, I remember those things. So those are the things mm. that I hope we help guys with. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, I don't the... get emotional, but he, he made me emotional. Yeah. He made me emotional with that text. I mean, oh. and saying that I helped him in his marriage and his life just because of something he remembered on the baseball field. And that's yeah. what we talked about earlier. That's what we talked about earlier is hoping that this is preparing you for life, preparing you for mm. your marriage, preparing you for your, your kids, preparing for your future jobs and your work, because it, you know, we say baseball and athletics in general can prepare you for, for life, life after sports. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like to allude back to what I was saying before about how baseball is not who you are, but it's what you do. And, yeah. you know, like I'll stand by that, but in a way it's like, if you take the same principles that you, you know, from baseball and apply it to your life, like you're saying, like, you're going to, you're going to do it the same way, you know? So like you're saying, I think like, when people say that, when people say, you know, it's it not translates and they say, it's not who you are. I think they're, they're saying, you know, just because you have a high ERA or low batting average and you're not, that doesn't, that doesn't define you. Yeah. Yeah. Now what does define you is all the characteristics go into your preparation. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you said, the hard work, perseverance, the resiliency, all those kind of things. I do define it does define who you are. If mm. you're a competitor, you're a, if you're a competitor, you're a competitor. Yeah. You know, I always tell the guys I may say, hey, we go down and play ping pong. I'm gonna compete just like we do on a baseball field. I'm gonna compete to death. You know, and we're gonna we're mm. gonna get after it. You know, and I think being a great competitor leads to great being a great competitor and fighting for what's important to you uh, later in life as well. Hmm. let's like well sorry keep going like what you i just think it, it does define who you are hmm. but you're not you're not attached to your stats you yeah because you just because you were super successful in the baseball field does not define who you are mm-hmm. the qualities hopefully define who you are 
Have you seen a change in that like over the years in terms of like the types of players that you're getting in and like maybe things you have to prioritize a little bit more in terms of uh, the things you have to implement to like the individual player? Well, you know, everybody believes that everybody's so uh, sometimes college athletes show up and they um, I'm losing the word I want to use entitled. Yeah. And I don't mean to be leading, but I've definitely heard or not heard, but like, I don't know. I lived it too. I mean, cause I hear things from other coaches about, you know, coming in and like, you need to drop that sense of entitlement. Like nothing here well, is just given. I don't think we get it as much at our level. I mean, seriously, you know, the guys who sign yeah. the university of Florida, I think they walk in with the shoulders back and the chest out a little bit more. So I think that a guy that comes here, um, at least, at least that's my, it's my perspective. You know, I'm not coaching over there, over their day, every day, but yeah. I'm here. Um, I think our guys know that they have to work to get where they want to go. I always tell, you know, I told you my goals when I was in 10th grade earlier. And mm-hmm. I tell my guys this, I said, you know, I, I, my goals were, and I tell my recruits this, uh, I said, I talked about the university of Florida mm. was my goal. Yeah. I said, I didn't say anything about junior college, did I? They said, no, you didn't. I said, the goal was Florida, but it took junior college to get me to Florida. Mm -hmm. I said, again, I was five foot nothing, weighed 100 nothing, didn't throw very hard. I needed to prove to people I could get it done. And I said, I needed junior college to get me to Florida. I needed junior college to get me to professional baseball one day. Mm -hmm. Because it was all part of my, it was all part of my growth. So I tell them, you know, you, you've got to be hungry. I said, I, I pitch with this thing on my shoulder every single game. Mm-hmm. I said, I had a chip. I mean, from the get-go, people told me I wasn't big enough, strong enough, couldn't do it. I was from Mulberry. I was going to – I remember when I was in – I played quarterback, quarterback my senior year. We had a really good year. But uh, mm. there was a local legend football coach at the next town over. And we beat them in the spring jamboree before my senior year. And the first time Mulberry had ever beaten them. And the coach told my coach, he says, your little lefty, not going to make it, not going to make mm. it through the season. Mm-hmm. He's hurt. He's too little. He can't do it. You know? Yeah. The coach, of course, made sure to tell me that. So every time I was down on that ground, I got crushed. I got yeah. hit. I wasn't very big. I wore a mm. big old flat jacket, rib protector, and still thought I had broken ribs many nights, but Every time I got hit, every time I was laying on that ground, I could hear that old old coach's voice in my head saying, he he ain't going to make it. He mm. won't last the season. So I made sure I kept getting up. So I, you know, I was, I was playing football with that chip on my shoulder. And I did the same thing in baseball. You know, wasn't big enough, wasn't strong enough, didn't throw hard enough. And um, so I made sure that I, I played and pitched with, um, with some – in internal rage, <laughs> which was good for me. I tell people all the time, I tell my pitchers, I said, man, I really had tons of confidence. I said, I had, I probably had too much confidence. I thought I was a lot better than I was. I said, mm-hmm. but it helped me. And I said, I want you to have my confidence. Yeah. What I don't want you to have is my arrogance. I had some arrogance at times. And again, I pitched with some, some emotional motion I wore it on my sleeve everybody knew how I felt every every single pitch mm. uh, but at times I took it to a, a little bit higher level 
you know, I talked some trash at times and they wish, I mean, those are some of the things I wish I could take back. I, but I think it made me better. And yeah. I, I mean, the confidence part of it. I mean, I really believed in it. Like I told you, I wasn't a confident person, a real confident person off the field, but man, in between those white line, lines, it was my sanctuary. Yeah. And I really took that confidence to a, a high level and, and it helped me compete. I always say, you know, I pitched against Frank Thomas and uh, challenging Frank Thomas and going right at Frank Thomas, a, a Hall of Famer now in the big leagues. Um, you know, but that's the great thing about baseball. Yeah. A guy five foot nine, five foot ten can compete against the six five six six Frank Thomas and and win. We struck we struck Frank Thomas six out, struck him out six times in a doubleheader. Me, wow. And my buddy Jeff Gidcom, who we were at Florida, we struck him out six times. Now the umpire was giving us some, some corners. And Frank had even even as he did in the big leagues, Frank had a really good eye. Mm. He had a really good awareness of the strike zone. But uh, I always tell people, you know, I, I really got to play this game for a long time. I got to play against uh, Tom Gordon, Flash Gordon, in uh, in high school. Uh, we were in the same district against each other. I pay, played against Frank Thomas in college, and I played against Derek Jeter in the professional ranks. I remember one time mm. someone on Twitter said, "Name the three three biggest three best guys you competed against." in high mm. school, college and pro ball. And those were, those three were mine. So um, I don't know where I get going on this, but again, to be able to, <laughs> for a little, for the, I always call myself the little lefty from Mulberry to get a chance to yeah. play at such a high level and to pl play against Tom Gordon, Frank Thomas, Derek Jeters of the world and, and get a chance to wear a, a uniform for 48 years or whatever it's been of my life. has just been, uh, been huge. And, Great, mm -hmm. just great. It's just the level of passion too that you have, like that really takes you, you know, the extra mile. It's not necessarily the talent or the stats or like you know how you how you measure up against opponents. Like I I do think it really boils down to the the level of passion that you have to actually compete and like want to win. You know, in I, the moment. I tell people a lot. I'd rather turn. I'd rather have to turn players down. Hmm. turn them up and what i mean you know i i have a yeah. hard time sometimes i have a hard time coaching the guy who makes no facial expressions who have gives no fist pumps hmm. who just goes out and does his job now again i know everybody's got a different um just a different being but you know the guys who don't you know they say oh you, sh you shouldn't be able to tell if a pitcher is winning or losing or struggling or and I, I definitely agree with bad body language. I sure. agree that you shouldn't have bad body language. Yeah. And I, I, I enjoy coaching the guys. And of course I enjoyed playing it that way. The guys who actually showed a little bit of passion that you talked about a little bit of emotion, you know, mm. now again, we, the university of Florida had a guy thrown out the other day, mm. uh, got a four game suspension for a pitcher just because he looked yep. over at George's dugout and screamed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he said something or he just flexed. But it was after a strikeout. I think I think both dugouts had been warned, and that's why he got thrown out. But so I don't agree with all the you know screaming at the other opponent and all those kind of things. But uh, but boy, a fist pump every now and then after a big strikeout. Um, I mean, I still got some videos today. I'll show them to my players, and it's an occasional, you know, it's an occasional fist pump here. They're not at some, yeah, yeah. not at somebody. Right. It was, in, it was in, just to myself. But um, but I love coaching those guys who really 
have that great passion. And, and like I said, some of us had to dig a little deeper because of our lack of our physical skills or size and this kind of thing. At least that's what I thought. You know, I thought I needed to try a little harder. I thought I needed to have a little more passion. I thought I needed, yeah. to, I thought I needed to want it, want it more than the next guy. Um, my dad, you know, I, I always say my dad force fed me competition growing up. Hmm. Uh, my dad had eight younger brothers. My dad was the oldest of nine boys. Uh, wow. There was, and my dad's youngest brother was only two or three years uh, older than I was. Mm. So I came along in Mulberry area. They just thought I was number 10. They thought I was the 10th brother. And mm -hmm. I said, nah, I'm, I'm the oldest grandson. Uh, but uh, every Sunday, our family would get together. We have Sunday dinner. Mm -hmm. it, it became huge gatherings. As you can imagine, if you had nine boys and they're all married and all had kids, how big the thing got. But it got huge. But we used to do for a while there. We did it every single Sunday. We'd eat. And then after dinner, we had a basketball court outside the outside the, my grandparents' house. At the, yeah. the slab, put up a goal. And we went to, you know, it was World War Three every Sunday. And uh, <laughs> I was the oldest grandson. So I was my dad helped me sneak into the games and got to play pick up basketball, my uncles. And then, you know, a lot of times there was fights. Sometimes there was blood, uh, but mm. it really showed me, I mean, my dad and my uncles were trying to win that pick up basketball game. Like it was the Super Bowl. And mm. so I learned early on, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of hugs, hugs and kisses after the game either. I mean, this, it was, it was tough. And so I learned, yeah. go, I learned from the get go about competition and competing and fighting and getting after it to try to win a Sunday afternoon mm. basketball game. <laughs> and uh, I really, I, I say, I tell people this all the time because I really believe it prepared me. It prepared me for, to make me tougher. It yeah. prepared me for competition. Uh, but it was the beginning of my, and then, you know, we my dad and my two younger brothers, we competed in the house every single day, whether it was wiffle ball, high flies, my dad would call them, throw the ball high as I could to catch him. And, uh, to wrestling in the house. I mean, we competed in everything. And I really always give my dad credit uh, because he never let me win. I always say my dad beat mm. me everything. Ping, we, <laughs> we had a ping pong table growing up and mm. he would destroy me. I'd, I'd leave and there'd be little whelps on me from the ball hitting me, you know what I mean? And then I finally, you know, when I was 13, 14, something along those, I finally beat him in ping pong. And then 15, yeah. 16, 17, I finally beat him in pickup basketball. You know, now I, I beat him like a drum and don't, don't, you know, my dad's 76, but still a pretty good athlete, still can play some ping pong, but I beat him to death. And I said, this is, this is your payback. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, so he taught me, he taught me well and taught me to be a great competitor and, and uh, glad, glad of it. That's for sure. He was building the resiliency in you essentially. And that's what it sounds like, what you're doing with your program in the fall, you build the resiliency. You know, you, it, it's a test. You test them. You say, Hey, uh, you're going to be ready for the spring. We're going to, we're going to show you what the spring's like before the spring even happens. You know, yeah, I would say, and a lot of coaches will say this. I try to make practices tougher, you know, tougher than games yeah. in the fall. Right mm -hmm. now, you know, we're 40, 40 something games into it. We, we have pretty light practices because I don't want to hurt anybody down the stretch here, but mm -hmm. you know, early on in the fall, those kind of things, we, I'm putting pressure on them. I'm raising my voice a lot. I'm trying to create as much pressure as I can on them. Mm. Uh, all those kind of things so that the games are easy. Yeah. And a lot of people say practices are for coaches. Games are for players. 
<laughs> you know, and um, and I I try to sort of live that and really try to push them and you know the problem is sometimes our guys will watch um, major league spring training hmm. and uh, they'll watch some of the practices they show and the you know ever watch the pitchers do PFP and those I mean they're going like forty percent you know they don't want to pull anything or. But they, but our guys think that's what how they're supposed to do it sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's exactly the opposite for me in practice. I mean, I'm trying to get them to go faster than they will in a game. I said you just can't mm -hmm. go half speed in practice, and then all of a sudden you go full speed in the game, and you want to throw it in the right field, all those kind of things. So we're mm -hmm. trying to prepare them as much as we can for for on and off the field every single day. And like I said, I've been really fortunate uh, to do what I do and. Uh, this this place, Santa Fe is awesome, a great academic institution. Uh, it's a good place to come play baseball. And I've been really fortunate to be here for, for 17 years and really love what I'm doing. And hopefully yeah. I'll get to do it for quite a bit longer. That's so funny. You mentioned like the PFP thing with big leaguers because like I, I think watching the game, learning from the best, like, yeah, do that. But <laughs> Frankly, if they're not on the field between the white lines, like, then eh, maybe not, like, because they earned that right to to big league it, you know, like they earned the ability to go a little bit easier and stuff. They've yeah, they've, yeah. they've done it, you know. So one of the greatest things totally I saw, different. Right? One of the greatest things I saw. I got a chance long time ago. I was coming back from Kansas. I played in played in a league, uh, tournament out there. This was mm -hmm. after my pro ball days. Uh, I, I pitched till I was. 40, I think, in tournaments and those kind of things. But um, I was coming back from Kansas, and we stopped off in um, Houston at Astrodome. Hmm. And we were going to catch a game. The Dodgers were there. And we got I got to the field really early, went down next to the bullpen, and Oral Hershiser is throwing a bullpen. Hmm. And old school Hershiser, you know, he threw like 59 consecutive scoreless innings. I think he'd already done that before I watched him. Hmm. And I watched him grind out a 30-minute bullpen where you would have thought this guy was a rookie trying to learn how to pitch. I mean, huh. him and his pitching coaches were just – he was dissecting every pitch and every movement and how he could get better. And this was a veteran in the big leagues. I left there with a great appreciation for him and how much he worked at his craft. Hmm. You remember Hershiser, he wasn't a guy that just blew it by guys. He mm -hmm. had great movement, great breaking balls, change. I mean, really, he was, in the essence, a really good pitcher. Mm -hmm. And that day, watching him grind it out showed me the kind of detail it takes to be as good as he was mm. at late and late later in his career that he was. Yeah. So I took a you know, I took a lot away from from that particular bullpen and watching guys. Because some guys, I've I've listened to some guys talk, and they ask them, you know, how do you how do you how do you hit it? How do you hit this good? And they say, ah, I just got good hands. Well, how do you hit the how do you hit the off speed pitch? I just let it get deep. You know, they really don't know what they do. They're just really good at it. Hmm. I heard this one great great hitter at a convention one time, and that's what he said. He answered the questions like, ah, I'm just pretty good. Yeah, I got pretty good hands. Oh, I just see it and hit it. You yeah, know, he didn't help. He didn't help us coaches take anything to our players. And I think yeah. there's a lot of those guys out there, but there's also the Oral Hershizers or the Ryan Yarbrills 
mm. who have to really hone their craft. And I gain I gained a lot more appreciation. I love watching those guys pitch. You know, I used to be a big Glavin Maddox kind of guy. Yeah. Watch those guys because it was, you know, it was a. They were doctors. They were, oh, they're they, dissecting guys. They're, yeah, they're doing surgery. Yeah. You know, the, the game today, a lot of it's it's just called grunt grunt and grunt pitching. You know, <laughs> they just a lot yeah. of it, they just over they just overpower the baseball. And it can work. Some it guys can work. Hit, that's how some guys hit. They swing yeah. big and they hope to hit it and overpower the baseball. Yeah, and that's and I think this year with the t- the the, the uh, clock and the base and the stolen bases it's creating a little bit different game which i like uh because the game is really turned in at that level to strikeouts and home runs you know yeah the it's what the three total outcome or the three outcome <laughs> game like isn't that kind of the the trend things were going in and, right and college baseball is following trend right now uh, on friday nights when it's supposed to be number one starters i'm seeing more 13 to 12 games florida Florida lost to Georgia this this past weekend. They won the series. They won Saturday, Sunday, but Friday night was thirteen twelve. Yeah, yeah. So back in my day, first game, second game, we usually three two, four three, two one. Hmm. But a lot of complete games, and then then the third game, in the SEC, we get a little bit crazy sometimes. But man, offensively, right now, there's more runs being scored than ever before. Yeah. Now, why is that? Our pitchers are throwing harder than they've ever thrown before. Oh, I mean, yeah. As hard as they've ever thrown before, with the nastiest breaking balls they've ever thrown before, and we're still scoring more runs than we've ever scored before. Hmm. So I know walks are up. Walks are up. That's not helping things. Um, but everybody, everybody believes in throwing the ball 100 miles an hour, and where do they think about throwing it? Elevated. So when they when they throw it right there, it's they get them out. If they miss three inches down, it's a home run. So we got yeah. more strikeouts and home runs than ever before. I'm not a fan of either one of those um, hmm. scenarios. I like guys who share the ball, uh, let the defense play behind them, keep the keep the ball in the ballpark, those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, but it is it is you know I've, I've asked this question to a lot of people. Hmm. And I actually tweeted about it recently and got got some responses to that as well. I said okay. Our pitchers are throwing harder than ever before. Why are we scoring so many runs? Are hitters that good? Are hitters that much better than the pitchers now? Or are we not pitching like we used to pitch? Are we, you know, and I got a, I got a lot of a different answers. They said, oh, we can watch mm-hmm. videos. We can watch videos on every pitcher now. Every pitch that they've thrown, we have a really good. Well, I was like, well, can't the pitchers watch the hitters too? And find out where their holes are, you know, yeah. especially the big league level questions. Every stat is all the hot zone, cold zones, you know, yeah. Exactly yeah, where they hit it and so forth. But you know, for me, it's always so different. All right, this is the hot and cold zone for you know, where he's facing Scherzer and now he's facing Ryan Yarbrough. Those are two different, two different pitchers, yeah, you know, in terms of what he couldn't hit against Scherzer, he may be able to hit on Yarbrough, right. That's that gets back to me talking about earlier on about pitching to my strengths, not pitching to the hitter's weaknesses. Yeah. Oh, says, oh, he can't hit it up and in. Oh, he can't hit Scherzer up and in. He could probably hit Johnny Witch's fastball up and in. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. so it, the game's changed so much. Everybody, somebody said, well, how's the game changed since you played? 
huh, everybody's bigger, <laughs> faster, stronger. Yeah. I said, look, when I was growing up, I used to watch the 78, 79, 81 Yankees. And I said, man, I love those days. They were great. I said, but look at the videos. All those guys were skinny, skinny little guys, you know? Now you got Aaron Judges and Stanton's running around out there. Oh, you know? my gosh, yeah. I mean, how scary is pitching those guys? I pitch in every time. You know why? Because if you pitch away, it's got a chance to come back and hit you. I pitch against <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you this quick story. I pitch yeah. against I used to pitch in a lot of tournaments. I told you up until I was 40 years old, I used to yeah. call me and I'd go pitch. They, one time I got to pitch in the Stan Musial World Series up in Michigan against uh, a team from a young team from Puerto Rico. Hmm. Uh, but this guy who always called me, he said, Hey, and they were all wood, they were always wood bat. And then he says, Hey, we're playing in this aluminum bat tournament. I'm almost 40 years old. That's gosh, I really don't want to face aluminum bats anymore. I really don't. Oh, it'll be fine. Team's not going to be very good. Just come play. I said, okay. So I go play, and I get ready to pitch against this team. And guess who walks up the bat with an aluminum bat in his hand? Dante Bichette. <laughs> you got to I mean, be Dante kidding Bichette, me. He had retired like three years earlier. Yeah, what's he, he doing was, there? <laughs> we're playing in some little amateur aluminum bat tournament, and Dante Bichette walks up. That should and be a crime about, for him to have. If you remember bat. how, if you watch his son today, his yeah. dad swung even harder than he swings. Oh yeah, yeah. Dave was known for his violent <laughs> swing. Mm -hmm. So, I, so he comes out there, and I face him a couple of times, but I don't throw him anything away. I said I'm going hard in, and so because if he hits it, he's going to hit it to left. He ain't hitting it back at me. Yeah. And that's what he did. He hit a ball that's probably still traveling. <laughs> oh boy no i got him out once and he hit a ball that's about 700 feet with that aluminum bat but uh yeah my gosh yeah with aluminum bat in his hand so. oh jeez <laughs> you're a chock full of stories by the way I, I got them all i've done it i've done it for a long long time and uh i mean just some some great experiences after my first year of professional baseball back in the day hmm. it was 1989 was my senior year and then i went straight to short season pro ball up in the northwest league mm. played up in bellingham washington near seattle and pitched really well and um came home was way back in classes uh here at the university of florida seattle called me and said hey I, we want to let you know congratulations we you got chosen as the mvp of your team mm. and that's awesome Did i get more money for that <laughs> they said no but you get you get to come to the big leagues for four days so every guy, every team MVP got flown back to Seattle for the last four days of the major league season. So I got to, I had a locker in the had a locker in the clubhouse, got to throw a bullpen, shag for the shag during BP. Huh. Uh, it was Ken Griffey Jr.'s rookie year. Oh wow. So I got to hang out with Griffey for four days. Randy Johnson was on that team. Harold Reynolds was Harold Reynolds was the second baseman. Edgar hmm. Martinez. Edgar Martinez, Hall of Famer, was on that team. Really, yeah, wow. really cool experience. I always tell people, you know, you talk about motivating me. Man, I came home, yeah. got after. I said, man, I want to get back there. Hung out in the clubhouse, ate all the clubhouse food, drinks, snacks. You know, us minor leaguers didn't know anything about that. Mm. So I, was I was killing the spread every day. Yeah. Uh, Griffey gave us a ride home. I said, ride home. Ride back to the hotel one day. 
Mm. He had a little BMW at the time <laughs> in his rookie year. But, uh, yeah, what a cool experience. Uh, Jay Buner was on that team. Mm. I mean, it was just awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, really cool experience. I mean, uh, Tino, Mar Tino Martinez was the double-A MVP. And okay. So went on the trip he went on the trip with me as well he hung out with us but uh yeah real cool experience i mean so i've had some great experiences like that i didn't get to play you know, like i said i got i played i always say i played every level but the big leagues yeah uh, but i uh, got that experience of spending four days in the big leagues with the seattle mariners in my first year and um yeah just real cool and stuff that i'll tell my grandsons when they when they get a little bit older <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean and i think this <laughs> All these stories too, like it kind of just makes me think like you would have never really had those experiences if you didn't get like, you know, punched in the face a few times and have to get up. Like you kind of, right. you, you really got to love it. And like, I mean, for you, you, you were pretty lucky that you got to have that resilience built into you like over time. I mean, even from childhood, like that's what you're telling me. Like it, you were almost like just built for that, like just for that level of competition. Like it was instilled in you. Um, just from such a young age and you know unfortunately not everyone can have that you know so do you take that into account with some players like actually because like and this is the last thing I'll ask about like you know your players or like how you can kind of help younger players build this sense of competitiveness because clearly you have it but not everyone else just naturally has that you know, so like, what are the things like you, you think are kind of like the best thing to focus on, like with your players or maybe players who want to be on your team or at a high level, you know, when, when they're ready to make that jump or get to the next level, like what are the things they can do to kind of like build that sense of competitiveness? That's a good question. You know, I always say, our, our, we used to have a volleyball coach here that used to always inquire about his recruits of whether they had brothers and sisters. And whether they were hmm. the youngest, the oldest, or the middle, and he yeah. really he really bought into uh, that playing such a big part. You know, hmm. he always thought the the um, the youngest sometimes was was the best because they had really gotten beaten up on, you know, by their older siblings, and they'd gotten tougher. Hmm. I don't think he was a fan of only of only childs. Interesting. You know? Yeah, you know, I mean, he he had all this so. I think some of us were lucky to have uh, a dad that pushed us, a dad that played sports his whole life, a mm -hmm. dad that's a little bit of college athletics or some brothers who you got to compete with every day. All mm -hmm. those kind of things help. But I try to get, I try to gauge that early on. We haven't done it in the last couple of years. I think we stopped when COVID hit. Hmm. But we used to, every year we used to, when we did physicals here, we'd also hmm. have a, a big ping pong tournament, baseball ping pong tournament. And we did that for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm pretty good at ping pong and it was my first chance to tell them, don't mess with the old guy. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we did it for like 10 years and I won, I won the tournament like eight, eight of the 10 years uh, every year. But I, I would get a sense of, I get a sense, not of who was just a good ping pong player, but I get a sense of who the competitors were. Mm. You know, we watching those guys play and see how much, they would battle and fight or how much it bothered them to lose. Yeah. Sometimes that gave me really a good gauge on where they were at. Mm -hmm. But to, once they get here, we try to, we try to do a lot of things, whether it's through conditioning, whether it's through the weight program or whether it's on a daily basis that we compete every try to compete most days. 
mm-hmm. and really try to bring that out in them mm-hmm. or identify that's what we really got to work on, you yeah. know, because everybody is different. I always say, I don't know anybody more competitive than me. Okay. I always say that. And I always say, you know, I say, I know you want to win, but you don't want to win as much as I do, you know, and I'm always something testing yeah. them there. I'm trying yeah, yeah. to say they, they really do want to win more than, than I do. But, uh, but, you know, we try to make everything as competitive as we can here to try to bring that out in them or even try to develop mm-hmm. that in some guys. Mm-hmm. Um, because everybody doesn't have the chip. Everybody doesn't have the edge. And, um, you know, you wish you could recruit only the perfect guys for your program, the guys that would be perfect in your culture, perfect in your competitive nature and all those kind of things. But you really don't find all that out till they get here. Mm-hmm. I mean, do your homework and some people vouch for them and said this and that, but you really don't know until they get here. Mm-hmm. You also get that thing, and you mentioned it earlier, you didn't, you didn't refer to Mike Tyson, but Mike Tyson, as Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they mm-hmm. get punched in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I remember that punch in the mouth. You know, I remember my senior year, I was, I, I pitched so good all year, uh, my senior year at, in high school. And, um, Florida Southern College in Lakeland, great Division II powerhouse. He used to win a lot of national championships, especially back then. They came to watch me play, and I had the worst game of my life. Mm. And that was my punch in the mouth, and I I really struggled with it. Um, you know, pitching so poorly. It was Tom Gordon's team, uh, Avon Park, and they were always really good who punched me in the mouth. But um, I didn't pitch very well, and it really hurt me. And I, I got a little hungrier after that, after them saying, no, we're not, you're not ready for us. I took that as a, as a motivation and put that chip on my shoulder, went to junior college and grinded it out. And then mm-hmm. they, they recruited me and tried to sign me uh, after junior college. And it was, it was sort of fun to say no, you know, they said no <laughs> to me after watching. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said, yeah, yeah. watch me pitch that day, you know, but it was fun to say no to them. And I, I'm going, I'm actually going to the university of Florida instead, you know, you could have had me, you could have had me two years ago, but that's, man, that was just perfect timing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, people say that was great that you pitched poorly. If you'd have pitched great, they may have, they may have offered you and you may have signed mm-hmm. and you would have not have gone where your dream was to go to the university of Florida. So, yeah. Uh, it worked out perfectly for me. I always say my coach leaving, my coach leaving at Valencia worked out perfectly for me. I got to come to Gainesville, got a chance to meet my wife here, go to the University of Florida, pitch in the College World Series. All the things that I probably forgot about telling my guidance counselor, you know, in the 10th yeah. grade. But all those things happened perfectly to allow me to meet those goals and to live my dream of doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I wish I learned the lesson earlier of like, you never really know if something is good news or bad news until like you can like, really reflect on it way down the road. Like yeah. you just don't know. It's you're still it's young, crazy. Jack. You'll figure it, you'll figure it all out. Oh uh, yeah. I try to remind myself that and you know, in the moment it can be really hard, but like, you know, eventually I get it. I get it. You know, I can see it. And I think that is that is definitely something like I would want to tell, you know, my younger self. Like, cause I mean, I've been oh, punched in the face so many times at this point already. I'm 23. Like I've already been hit and knocked down pretty hard a, a few times, but well, the old lot, the old lot is everything, ha- everything happens for a reason. 
Yep. You know, you don't you don't believe it at the time, of course. You don't believe a bad outing, an accident, uh, an injury, uh, you know, a breakup, you know, all those kind of things. You just you don't mm-hmm. think those things are for a reason, but uh for the most part uh they they happen for a reason and, and great things are are coming down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And and I this was going to be one of my questions about you personally, so I do want to let's segue into that, you know, cuz okay. cuz I I think about a lot of the time, like things I would tell my younger self, um, you know, that might've changed the course or just helped me along the way, you know, things to keep, give myself to keep in mind uh, that, that would help me along the way. Um, if you could go back in time to like your, your first year coaching self, like what piece of advice would you give yourself? And this, this is in a way also a piece of advice to young coaches right now, you know, to help them along the way. Well, the first thing I'd say is everybody is not the same as you are Hmm. you know when i got into coaching i believe everybody had my same uh, competitive competitiveness Hmm. uh, had my same toughness had my same uh, want to those kind of things everybody learns everybody learns different you know and um early on in my head coaching career or even in my assistant coaching career I remember when I was a pitching coach at Jacksonville University and I mm-hmm. I was still young enough to compete with the guys and throw and run and those kind of things. And I took the guys on a, we ran a campus run or something. And then I challenged them at the end and I think I beat most, if not all of them in the finish. And, and a lot of them didn't yeah. even try to beat me at the mm. end, didn't seem like. And I really got upset with them, you mm. know? I mean, I went on a rampage of I would have never given up to my coach back in the day. If my coach was running in front of me, challenging me, I would have never quit. I would have never let him beat me. I would have, you know, been on his toes. It had been the last thing that could have happened. Hmm. And I and that I struggled with that. And then when I was the head coach at Polk Community College, I had this pitcher that just he struggled every time out. He just this lousy, fair attitude, bad body language, didn't compete. Hmm. So he came out after a bad first inning and I said, okay, I'm going to do what my coach would have done to me. I'm going to, I'm going to crawl him. I'm going to jump on him and challenge basically his manhood. So I did that, jumped in his face, yelled at him, tried to get him, you know, if you can't do it, I'll get somebody else who can, you can't quit. And all of a sudden he looked at me as plain as day and says, you might want to get somebody warmed up. Hmm. Wow. And I was just, I was baffled. I was like, I, I would, I guess my dad started my, I was motivated by a, somebody getting on me. I was motivated by somebody challenging me. Yeah. I was motivated by somebody telling me I couldn't do it. Sure. You know, and this guy just said, you're right. You might want to get somebody warmed up. I can't do it. You know? And so it hit me in the face and I said, everybody's not you, Johnny Wiggs. Everybody's not wired the same as you. So it takes, takes time to learn your players. It mm. takes, you're going to have to take time to figure out who they are and what makes them tick. You know, you always say, oh, you got to treat everybody the same. Well, I learned you mm. can't do that. You can't yeah. treat everybody the same. I may be able to crawl Jack Aldridge and it helps him get better. Mm-hmm. I jump him, he's motivated by it for it. I jump somebody else. And it tears them down and it makes them even less confident. 
Yeah. You know, so really, so the biggest thing I learned early in my career was that is that everybody's just everybody's wired differently. Everybody has different experiences. Everybody didn't have the same competitive dad that you did. Everybody's different, and you've got to figure out what makes them tick. And it mm. may take a pat on the back versus the chewing to get them to be the best they can be. It may be telling them how good they really are mm. instead of telling them how, how bad they are. You <laughs> can tell me how bad I was. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I'd say, okay, I'll prove you wrong. Right. You know, telling some of the people that how bad they are is just going to put them in a spiral. So really trying mm. to learn your players and know who you're dealing with before you just start brawling everybody like I did when I was a young coach would be one of my probably biggest advices to coach coaches. Yeah. And, but you got to be yourself. You know, mm. you really got to stay true to yourself. I've tried to be really consistent over the years. I'm a I'm a panicker. Um, and what I mean by panic, or I, I'm a sense of urgency guy. I want to do it now. Don't tell me to be patient. You know, we'll score some runs later on, you know. Um, but I'm the same. I, I, I've tried to be the same guy all the time. You know, occasionally mm. I have a new assistant coach who come in here and say, you know, have you ever thought about trying this? And I was like, I'm 56 years old. You know, I've been doing this for 25 years as a head coach. Uh-huh. Yes, I've tried that. And I can't do it. It's not me. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, you know, I, again, <laughs> talking about, you know, teaching an old dog new tricks. You know, I, I've tried to do some different things with players over the years, but I am who I am. I'm, I'm super competitive, competitive. I'm boisterous. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm mm. not going to be that. I'm not the stoic Joe Torrey <laughs> in the dugout, you know, who, you just gave up a home run. You just struck at the guy to win the game. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty. Yeah. Uh, who was the? I'm trying to think of the guy. Texas, maybe it was um, the Texas Rangers coach. He's the infield coach for the Braves now. I thought. What's his name? Washington. Uh, Ron. Ron Washington. Mm -hmm. I think he was manager for a little while. And mm -hmm. man, he used boy. He he was always so animated and dug out and pumping his fists. And, and I said, well, that's that's more me there than than joe tory i love joe tory but yeah. uh it was pretty you know he was pretty stoic most of the time in the dugout you couldn't tell what was sure. happening uh as i told you earlier i like guys who have a little motion when they pitch you know a little bit of fist bump a little bit of good body language something mm. don't tell me that you're alive and you're doing well but yeah that's that's who i am as a coach and i think i'll i'll always be that way i always think if i don't react if nothing something doesn't bother me on the field either good or bad I probably need to get out. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, yeah. And again, I'm not saying that's that's for every. I'm not saying that's for everybody, Jack. I'm just saying that's for me. Right. I, I live it passionately. That's the way I play, and that's the way I coach. You know. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you. My advice was to, not, to the coaches to be be yourself. You got. Yeah. You can read all the books in the world. You can take advice from other coaches. You can go to the co to coaches conventions like I do. And you know you can implement you can implement a few new things here and there, but man, you gotta you gotta be you, mm. you know. So know your players, know your players, and what makes them tick, and what can you can help them get the most out of them, and yeah. then be, and then be yourself. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> don't try to be Joe Torre. Don't try to be Ron Washington. You just try to be Johnny Wiggs or whoever to 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 make sure that you're true to yourself and yeah. and you feel good when you lay your head on that pillow every night. 
<laughs> it's it's almost like you know like if you're gonna be yourself like also let them your players be themselves too like on the flip side of that is like letting the players be themselves like you're saying that's going to lead to more success on and off the field too like absolutely and we're seeing more of that we're seeing a lot more of that these days for sure good good and bad you know you're in you know these guys are expressing themselves a lot more these days we had a guy for the first time a guy hit a home run against us the other day and he threw the bat and almost hit his first base coach that's how far he threw the bat when he hit home run. Umpire threw him out of the game. Umpire threw him out of the game. Oh man! So you're seeing that a little bit more. <clears throat> Fine line. Not they're not letting them be quite as expressive, but boy, they're talking. You know, it's um, yeah. But you know, when I played when I played at Florida, <clears throat> bench jockeying back in the day was um, encouraged more than it was frowned upon. So it was it was pretty animated, especially when we played Florida State in Miami. It was, it was a lot of talking going on and it was animated and all those kind of things. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, but uh, I'm more aligned today with the guys acting like you've done it before. You know, I, I try to teach. I, I mean, I want our guys to show emotion. Don't yeah. I want us to show emotion and excitement. It's big strikeout, big home run, but I don't think there's need to throw the bat halfway to the halfway to the dugout. Sure. <laughs> I don't think you need to scream scream and at the other dugout after a strikeout you know those kind of things we we try to teach yeah. our guys to play the, the game the right way but at the same time like you said we want them to be their self we want them to have fun mm. you know i told them the day we, we'd lost a couple games in a row and i said you know what we get to do today I said, mm. what? I said we get to play baseball we get to play baseball and that mm-hmm. is a pretty fun thing to do a lot of a lot of people in this world wish they could get to play baseball today Mm. You know, so we try to keep it light. We try to, we try, but at the same time, compete like heck. And, um, but uh, we're, we're all lucky uh, student athletes today, former student athletes, coaches that we got to be involved in athletics and, um, you know, something that, you know, my youngest daughter got to play volleyball at, uh, at the division one level. And she still talks about it and how much it was awesome. And, and she mm. saw a good match. She, they were awful her junior year when she trained. She played two years of junior college and her junior year that she was awful and finished last. And hmm. uh, senior year they won the conference. Oh, so, okay. You know, yeah. So when you get to experience the highs and the lows there, I think that really gives you the full spectrum of of life lessons and hmm. and learning to bounce back and resiliency and leadership and all those kind of things that uh, that the great athletics. Um, it's experience the experience yeah yeah. absolutely like okay so now i need to ask about like santa fe in particular okay so i want to ask about the school in general and then also the program like two two separate things just like your favorite sort of aspect about about each of those things the college is great here um it's a lot you know it's a large junior college yeah, uh, they say we have like seventeen thousand students, so it's a great. I mean, it's a lot yeah. bigger than even Tulane or mm-hmm. it's a small private school, but uh, so it's a large junior college with small classroom sizes, where the academics are the priority here. As mm-hmm. I said earlier, you know, it's a great academic institution, and we're probably so great because of Big Brother, four or five miles down the road. You know, we have a great, great uh, relationship with the University of Florida. 
back when I was in school here, if you graduated from Santa Fe, you automatically were accepted into the University of Florida. Now wow. it's not automatic. You actually have to make decent grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just graduate with a 2.0 and get in, get in across town. But what makes this place so good is, is um, you know, it's geared toward getting people mainly into the University of Florida. You know, mm. most of our majors here are established on the University of Florida criteria. Yeah. Now, if you now if you meet the Florida criteria, then you meet a lot of other colleges' criteria. Um, yeah. But our relationship with Florida is what makes this place so so special and unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the percentage is of people that graduate from here and go to Florida, but we have offices here on campus that are called Gateway to the Gators, where they have UF advisors here, where you meet with. The, so that you find out what classes to take and what grades you need to make to get into the College of Business, College mm. of Engineering, whatever, at yeah. the University of Florida. So it's a great big campus, uh, but with a small college environment. Everybody still knows everybody. Everybody co- uh, congregates at the food court uh, over there. A lot of things, a lot of happenings happening in what we call the Oak Grove. Um, mm. So it's, you know, that part of it, it's a lot of people, but a small campus still environment. Hmm. And I think from the baseball standpoint, um, you know, I love from a personal standpoint, like I told you earlier, I love putting my hands on everything and really get to be involved in yeah. all aspects of the program from academics to washing the clothes, to working on the field, to recruiting, to promoting my guys to the next level. Um, that's probably personally my, my best, my, my favorite uh, but I hope that people from the outside see a winning culture, you know, mm. a, a winning culture that not only creates really good baseball players, but good people. Um, mm. You know, we've had very, very little issues off the field here and those kind of things. So I hope that we represent represent the college and our community and our baseball program um, very well. Uh, yeah. Like I said, on and off the on and off the field, it's I get a big kick out of when I get a, a, a good email from a professor bragging about some of our students and, you know, whether it's just how hard they work, mm. or how, how in tune they are uh, during the class. You know, this this day and age, it seemed like you know, kids walking in with um, ear pods in and don't even listen to a teacher half the time, probably. But Mm. Uh, so those things bring me a lot of pride. Now guys doing well in the classroom and graduating and, and mm. be able to go to the institution of the choice afterwards. And I'll talk about the player perspective on that because I remember being in junior college and thinking like it wasn't cool to sit in the front, you know, or it wasn't cool to like try hard at some <laughs> point. But, and I, I still, I, honestly, I like when I got to Tulane too, and the classes got a little bit bigger, like it was a little harder to participate and stuff like that. Like, right. you know, you kind of, you fall into that like a little bit where you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't need to be the guy who's asking all the questions and stuff like that. But, but we sorry. Understand. You, have get, you got to sit on the first three rows. Yeah. And like, it's so much more gratifying, you know, after the fact, when you can look back and say like, no, I, I did, I went the extra mile in the classroom, stuff like that. Like, it doesn't matter what other people think about it, if it's cool or not. Like, just do it. Like, just do it. I wish I had I, done it for more of my classes. I did it for a few, but I wish you, I had are you more. were you as good a student as your dad was? I think I honestly embodied him like to a T. Like he was. I know he told me, like as a 
you know, when he was younger and like being a student athlete that he always thought he had to work like twice as hard to like maintain the same level of like grades or uh, even athletics. Like he, he was just like, I'm going to work twice as hard. Like that's, that's the goal. Like I knew that I had to, in order to attain that level. So I definitely try to embody that. Like I, I knew, like I wasn't going to be the 4.0 student. Like I just knew that like, it was not, for me or at least maybe I put that limit on myself but I think it still allowed me to be very on top of like um timing getting everything done making sure like I wasn't someone who turned things in late or missed classes or anything like that like I showed up every day and did what was required like that like if you can't do the bare minimum then there's going to be a problem so it's like you're you're going to have to at the very minimum like you're going to get everything done and you know, you might not be the best prepared for this test, but you're still going to give it a hundred percent, you know? So, I mean, for myself, I mean, I, I think I was a good student. Obviously I wasn't a 4.0 guy, but I definitely, you know, I, I would say like, I, I was, I was happy with how I performed in the classroom. And I think, good. I think it, it ref, cause it is a bit of a reflection on like how you go about other things too. So, you, you know, I, because I'll admit to I can get into that procrastination thing where I'll, I'll I'll wait, you know, and then I need that pressure on me to perform in order to do well. But I never I never let it get to a point where I couldn't get something done. Like I had I knew like I knew I was going to get it done. Like it, it had to be done. And you're gonna you're gonna make the grades like there's no ifs, ands or buts about that. Like you're gonna get it done. So that's, that's how I was. And not every student was probably like that. But I, I know my my dad and my mom were very very much on top of me to, to be, to be on top of the academics and to use those as well, as well as baseball, as, as a tool to get you, you know, far than, you know, you even can imagine where you could go. So, I mean, that, that's, you know, just how I was with academics, but um, I, I do have one more question for you. It's a, uh, it's a question I ask every coach um, because they all go through, you know, recruiting stories uh, just experiences with players that, you know, they might hold on to for a long time. Um, if you have a like most memorable recruiting a trip, you took experience with a player that you had, it can be like a success story. It can be just something really out of the ordinary that happened. Um, maybe you, you learned a little lesson from it. I've had coaches talk about like a parents maybe that like totally surprised them or something, you know, that just, yeah anything out of the ordinary shouldn't have even happened or again it could be a catastrophic failure or a huge success or it can be anything that just like i'll give you uh, first thing comes to my mind is my three um my three unsuccessful stories okay Um, three former three big leaguers that i sort of passed on Um, oh yeah yeah okay so let me see if i can remember in in order of their ages um steven pierce Mm-hmm. Steve Pierce, who I think he played like 18 years in the big leagues, Orioles, Red Sox, bunch of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a shortstop at Lakeland High School when I was the head coach at Polk Community College. So he was right in my backyard, and I tried to get Steve and Pierce, Steve Pierce, to walk on, hmm. and I didn't offer him a scholarship. Nobody had offered him until after the state high school baseball trip. Indian River ended up offering him. He signed Indian River, hmm. where he was great. He's great at South Carolina. And then, of course, he played like 18 years in the big leagues. My second miss would have been um, oh, J.D. Martinez. 
Wow. Who still play with the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. A.D. Martinez came and worked out for us at Polk again. These were all Polk stories. Hmm. Um, and it was just okay. I mean, his 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 bad speed wasn't great. He definitely couldn't run. He's just okay. I mean, you know, his, his tools were not off the charts. He didn't, yeah. didn't have tremendous power at that time. And um, he ended up signing with Nova Southeastern, D school, D2 school down in Fort Lauderdale area. Sure. And a high pick out of there. And of course, he's played the last 15 years in the big leagues. Yeah. For him. And then my last one was um, D Gordon. Wow. D Gordon came and tried out for us. D was probably 120 pounds, I think. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 150, I think. But D was about 120 pounds and couldn't get the ball out of the infield, basically. Le- left handed hitter, no, no strength whatsoever. Hmm. Could run, just could really run. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't the only one at that time. Nobody else offered him. No other junior colleges in the state of Florida offered him. He ended up going to Southeastern University, mm. played basketball and baseball in AI school. Did that for one okay. year, transferred to Seminole, Seminole Community College in Orlando. But uh, he ended up, didn't end up not playing. I think it was, he didn't make grades, but he didn't play in the springtime. And still got drafted in the fourth or fifth round. And, um, and of course, has been in the big leagues for quite a while. So, yeah. uh, for all those coaches out there, you're going to miss some people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't miss three big leaguers, but uh, you're going to miss a few. I mean, hey, but but with what you've done, like, I mean, geez, it's, yeah, those, it's actually I always, crazy. I, I always make fun of myself for not not getting any of those three guys i knew they were decent good player decent players but yeah um like i had a shortstop returning and stephen pierce wanted to play shortstop i uh-huh. wanted to walk on and play third base i remember uh and he ended up playing shortstop i believe at um indian river in south carolina now, hmm. again he moved around in the big leagues he never played shortstop in the big leagues but uh but yeah he turned out to be a really good player of course jd martinez can really hit really 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 hit <laughs> and I should have, I should have saw that. And then, uh, and then D Gordon was not physically ready, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we all make mistakes, but we all, you know, we had the success stories of guys that we let walk on that turned into be great players. Mm-hmm. You know, the Ryan Yarbrough's, you know, who, who was a good little, good little high school pitcher, but I didn't, you know, of course his dad used to always tell us he was going to play in the big leagues. Hmm. We'd, we'd laugh. Yeah, and say, yeah, he's got a chance to be a good college pitcher, but this guy's not going to play in the big leagues. Hmm. He's been in the big leagues five or six years now, so um, you never know in this game. You know, we've had guys come to my student walk-on tryout, you know, and they end up being two-year starters for us, sign with a four-year school afterwards. I mean, those are the really cool stories I like telling um, because in baseball, it's hard to. There's so many parts to being a good player. Yeah, of course. You know, and sometimes just a little generic tryout doesn't show you the size of his heart, the size of his work, work ethic, size of his want to, size mm. of what a great competitor he is, those yeah. kind of things. I always say the little Dustin Pedroyas yeah. of the world, you know, can be huge players for you. and But you don't see that just in the physicality sometimes or a BP yeah. or just a generic infield. Um, so it's, it's what makes our game great. 
and why the you know the most talented teams don't win all the time. Mm-hmm. That was the case. The Yankees and the Dodgers would you know would win every single year, you know, <laughs> because they have the biggest payrolls and the so-called superstars and all those kind of things. But the Tampa Bay Rays keep winning games, and you know, mm-hmm. and you don't know how, you don't know half their players, um, and they're not paid very much, and they're not paid very much. But yeah. but uh, hey, if you if you catch it, you throw it, you pitch it, you hit it, you know. Gives you a pretty good chance. But, um... For the listeners who didn't catch on to the, the two big lessons there, the first one would definitely be timing is everything. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, t- timing is important. And sometimes it doesn't always happen on the, the, at the time that you think it should happen. And the second thing, at least I think, is that, you know, all it takes really is one person to believe in you or yourself to just believe in yourself, you know, for a lot to change and a lot to happen. Yeah. You know, like Yarbrough's dad, you know, or a, a junior college coach taking a chance on you, right? So, I mean, yeah, please, please take those into accountability with yourself if you're a young player or you're even a, a parent, a young coach. Honestly, uh, anybody can really take that piece of advice uh, and apply it to their life. I mean, my gosh, Johnny, uh, you've given me so many little tidbits. I'm gonna have to go back and like watch this, honestly, again. That. Got some editing on this two hour and 15 minute uh, yeah. oh, podcast. Y- <laughs> yes, this will be, this is my, this is going to be my longest episode without a doubt, you know, for <laughs> sure. No, but I enjoyed every minute of it. I, I just yeah. want to say thank you for coming on. Like the, this was awesome. I yeah, really enjoyed myself. Anytime and um, again, look forward to doing it again sometime and look forward to following you and, and uh, keep, keep pitching well. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And I don't know, I got to get back to games at some point. Like we, we go every few years, um, you know, to see family. But yeah, if I'm in Gainesville, though, I'll, I'll definitely have to have to come see yeah. it, you know, live in action, you know. Get so. you and dad to come both together. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. I got to go to a Gator football game. I still haven't gone. It's insane. What? I know. I, I was going to go this past fall, actually. I'll text dad. And fall through. I'm going to get on to him. I'm going to get on to him. Yeah. You haven't brought your kid up right if you haven't taken him to a Gator football game. Let's <laughs> go. I, I, I've watched on TV so many times. You can't get that kind of football in California. No, don't. Yeah, we own it. That's a whole separate deal. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what? It'll happen though. It'll happen one day. Um. All right. Well, I mean, I guess that's going to do it for this episode. And yeah, I I do probably need to head to the field pretty soon. Actually. Yeah. Eventually. Oh, we got to get there exactly. so early. Yeah. Appreciate you, bud. Yeah, th- thank you for coming on. And really awesome. Yeah, I'll just let the listeners know like this is this is it. You know, we're finally done. And yeah, that's that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Player to Prospect. And we will see you next week.